Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up? Happy Friday. I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Packed, packed Friday show for the people on this fine Friday morning, Thursday night, whenever the hell you're listening to this. Maybe it's a Saturday. Who knows? We got a great show ahead. So I talked to Weldon Rodenberg, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, might know him as the guy on the Sunday show, for about an hour regarding really just a lot of recruiting stuff. And it's not the recruiting stuff you probably think it is. It has nothing to do with Ole Miss's 2022 class and what they need to do and all that stuff. I thought it was appropriate with Hugh Freeze coming back to Oxford uh, you'll hear me say this and repeat this in a second, but like, what's a storyline regarding Hugh Freeze that's not going to make everyone throw up in their mouths? And I thought recruiting, that's eventually what led to the on the field downfall. I know there were a million other factors off the field. What happened? Why did it happen? How hard is that to land kids? How hard is it to miss on that many kids? I was just very curious about all of those things. And so who better have on than Weldon to kind of explain how it happens, how the old Miss defense got the way it was, Freeze's downfall in recruiting, some of the imbalanced classes. Weldon gave some really interesting answers regarding, like, particularly the 2016 class that was so offensive heavy and, like, how that may not even happen now because of the whole, like, Shark Tank and better organization when it comes to recruiting that, as he points out, wasn't even around six, seven years ago. We have short memories when it comes to this sport. Anyway, tons of recruiting stuff. We went back through Ole Miss's 2015 to 2018 classes and at least tried to map out or at least converse what the hell happened to Ole Miss football when Hugh Freeze left? So we got that going, and then Greg and I get to our Friday picks in a doozy of a week uh, week nine in the NFL, week 10 in college football action. So I'm pumped about this show. Not a whole lot of Ole Miss Liberty breakdown. You'll have to forgive me on that. Just not totally interested in that. And I think you'll enjoy this show. couple hours, strap in, Friday Megapod for the people. Before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Fix. Who is Skybox Sports Fix? Glad you asked. World's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry. Skybox, riding along with us for our picks this week, went with us in college. They don't give out NFL for free, so they didn't ride us on that. We need to check them out. They're at the end of this podcast with Greg, killing it on the NFL riding the wave in college football, absolutely destroying it on NASCAR. Need to check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. They're going to have a package that fits your price range, whether that's month-long, season-long, sports-centric, all sports. I'd recommend going with the year-long pass for all sports. going to pay for itself back and then some and more because that's what Skybox does. They make you money. But, hey, if you only like the NFL, you only like the NBA, you only like MLB, whatever your sport may be, they're going to have a picks package that's going to fit what you have in mind from a financial standpoint, and they're going to make you money. So just consider it a short-term investment. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY, and you get 20% off any picks package you purchase. You don't want to be paying the man on Sunday nights. You already got the scaries. You don't need that text Sunday nights, Monday morning. You know what I'm talking about out there. Hey, can we square up today? You don't want that. You want to be texting him, asking him where your booze money for the next weekend's coming from. Or maybe you're a grown adult and not like me. And maybe it's to take your kids some, somewhere nice or your wife out to a nice dinner. I don't know. Anyway, it's your money. You need to go find it. You don't need him coming to find you for money. Check about skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue. Cross from Kroger. Greg needs no introduction. 
selling the hell out of LBs on the back end of this podcast. It's absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Go try this crab, crab stuff, mushrooms. Got a Snapchat from someone of that earlier this week. Just delightful. All kinds of awesome sausages. Lane Train special, Keith Carter special. You got right now the Rippy Wright special. That's a rippywrights.substack.com. Type in your email. You get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week. And then discounted meats. Right now, if you're a subscriber, 16-ounce prime strip, 20 bucks, $5 pack of sausage. How about that? Hell of a way to kickstart your weekend. Throw that on the grill on a Saturday or a Sunday and just kick back and watch the football all day long. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. The best place in the world to get meat. Greg's a great dude. Wants to have, wants your grilling experience to be good. Don't go to Kroger. Greg's going to hook you up. And he's got better stuff. Check him out. LB's University Avenue. Lastly, podcast brought to you by Manscaped, as is all MPW Digital Podcasts. It's time for you to join the more than 2 million men that trust Manscaped. Who is Manscaped? Well, they orchestrate precision tools for your jewels. They're the ultimate company to go to when it comes to your bathroom grooming. They need to make me time in the bathroom, your favorite time. Check them out. Heard the 70s were a wild time. They're here to make sure things don't get out of hand downstairs. Lawnmower 4.0 special comes with an LED light, portable charger. You need to make sure things are groomed and kept down there. And Manscaped is the best company to do that by far. Use the promo code MPW and get 20% off any purchase at manscaped.com. Pubic service announcement. It's time to have some smooth boys down there and let Manscaped use their precision jewels to shave, or precision tools to shave your jewels. I'm not even going to cut that because it's taken me so many times to get through the sad read on <laughs> without laughing. Check them out. Manscaped is awesome. You need to go take care of things down there. Here is Weldon Rodenberg. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist Weldon Rodenberg, pinch hitting again in a Friday slot for us here to talk some recruiting. I teased this idea uh, probably a little bit when we last talked on Sunday, but definitely put out the teaser on the Wednesday show with Michael Borky. Going to talk some recruiting and not like the recruiting that you maybe think we have the soft verbal for that. I'm not, we're not going to go through 2022 kids and start breaking them down, but just kind of the, some of the nuances of recruiting in the big picture and how it can make or break a program and make or break a coach's tenure. And I figured this would be appropriate with Hugh Freeze coming back into town, like my brain last week on Sunday when I'm thinking of these ideas was like, how can I come up with a Hugh Freeze topic that doesn't make everyone want to throw up? And I was like, oh, his on-field recruiting towards the end. We'll go through a little bit of that and see. So that was kind of the way I had the idea. Uh, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well. Just having you take up another hour of my free time. <laughs> yeah. You know, but we I mean, what, seven, eight figure salary. We, we pay you in the millions to do, to do this. So well compensated. Uh, just make sure that Ferrari in your garage is all locked up tight and we will, uh, we'll get you in and out of here in no time. Um, before we get started, this is somewhat topical because one of the reasons I wanted to do this was oh, freezes 2015 to 17 classes. Uh, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, it made me think of Major League the movie, which you have not seen. I sent a Snapchat of this video that I found earlier. You said, haven't seen him. I don't watch baseball movies. I can appreciate baseball movies not being your taste. What if I pitched you on this being like more of a Blue Mountain State type of baseball movie? It, it's, it's definitely X-rated. Have you heard of it? Yeah, I've heard of the movie. Okay. I just, I like, you know, when those were kind of movies you watch when you were younger and we didn't grow up in a baseball family. So I didn't watch baseball movies and 
in my free time, I don't really care to go watch, you know, angels in the outfield or, or anything like that. I mean, I've heard it. Yeah. Bull Durham and all that kind of stuff. I have no interest. (laughs) I love love sports movies, but not baseball. So if there's one I could pitch to you, because this is like sports movies aside, this is one of my favorite movies of all time is major league or major league two. But what was topical was I put a little cutout video in the newsletter earlier this week, not a subscriber, rippywrites.substack.com of trying to like articulate both teasing this podcast segment and the 2015 to 17 recruiting classes. It's the scene where the owner who's trying to relocate them to Miami uh, is trying to make them as terrible as possible. And they hand out the spring training invites. And the assistant GM is like one point. It's like, I've never heard of half these guys. And one of the guys like this guy here is dead. And she's like, well, cross him off the list. He's not coming. So (laughs) that's the feeling that I got watching a couple of these Watching, like looking through a couple of these recruiting class lists, and we got we'll dive into specific classes in a second. But this cliche that recruiting is the lifeblood of a program is someone so for you, someone who worked on the inside, when you heard that on TV, whether it's you know the ESPN signing day stuff, like how like did you battle internally? Not that you put too much thought into a cliche at all, but like God, that sounds so corny, but at the same time, it's so true. Like, what's your thought on all the recruiting cliches? Because there's a lot of truth in them as well. Yeah, that's that's the the classic one that's always thrown around. And at its core, it is truly 100% true. And I think if you saw Kirby Smart this week, what he said um, in his press conference, where it's like, you cannot out-coach players. And that is so true, especially at a place like Ole Miss, where you're probably not going to be on that level of Bama and Ohio State and Georgia. You, I mean, you have to recruit your ass off. And yeah, like, of course, that includes evaluations and, you know, coaches putting in the work, but it also includes some other stuff that's new these days with NIL and all that stuff, which I really never got a chance to have to deal with, thank God. Um, But it really, it is incredibly important. It is 50%, 30%, somewhere around that. It's not over 50%, but it is an incredibly important part of building a program and more importantly, like sustaining success is where recruiting really is the most important part. Yeah, I think you're dead on. Honestly, uh, per, like particularly at a place. Well, actually, this kind of goes in general. I'd say it's closer to 50 than it is 30, because at the end of the day, if you're recruiting good players that turn out right, there's a difference between having a good February and then the kids actually turning out. Right. Or I guess now it's having a good December. LSU is probably a good example of that. But, sure as long as you have decent talent, like it's hard to screw it up. A lot of times these things run themselves as long as the talent is like kind of flush coming into these programs. But so, yeah, you mentioned the NIL part of it. And like, I don't think any of us know how exactly that's going to affect things. I would say five, six months in, what are we? No, we're not even that far. Three, four months into this. It seems the early, the early kind of roots of this that you can kind of see being planted are the institutions having these built-in NIL things? It's been a conversation with Arch. It's like, how can Ole Miss kind of get some built-in NIL stuff around the school, parentheses, around the school, not literally school-sanctioned stuff, and it become that, which I guess is kind of what you had thought, right? Like, you knew there were going to be some places that did this better and more prepared and more organized. But largely, I don't even think NIL is necessarily a great conversation to have yet because we just don't really know how this is going to affect anything because I think eventually there will be a market correction in terms of how much these guys actually make. And, yeah, that's you know, coming big time. 
Yeah, because there's going to be some boosters being like, why did I pay upper six figures for this kid who ended up being a bust? Like, and credit to these kids for getting as much money as possible now, but this is not going to last for forever. No. Not every one of these kids is going to continue to get six figures. No, I mean, the R, it's all about ROI, you know, return on your investment. And now that you're basically making investments in kids, like you can't, like, for instance, I think Spencer Rattler, everyone loves to just dog on this kid. But, I mean, he had supposedly some really big time NIL deals, real money, real cars, you know, this whole deal. And he's not going to be at Oklahoma next year. And all these people that getting in on this, like, oh, this is going to be great. Like, we're going to help our football team so much. They're like, why am I? I'm never doing this again, ever, ever, ever again, because you never know what the kid's going to end up like. You're, it's like investing in a, you know, a crypto for a like value of a kid. <laughs> it's like, it's a total farce. For the most part, except for I'm, I'm all in on crypto, but hell yeah, uh, there's going to be a serious, serious correction because it's there's so much crap out there with this. There's all these lawyers and quote unquote agents coming out of the woodworks who are nobodies who are now somebody's trying to like sign all these kids to these deals. And it, at some point, they're going to have to reset this thing because I mean, you just hear some of the numbers. You talk about some of these big-time kids getting before they step foot on campus. It's like, who is – it's not spreading the wealth. It's just making the program to have it more organized and more money, like A&M and Texas and Alabama. They're just going to get everybody. And um, it, it's it's re- looking really, really dumb right now. And it's great. I want these kids to get paid. Of course, everyone does. But it's really just – it doesn't even make sense right now. And there's so little regulation on what you can and can't do and these people with so much money and businesses who just don't care just want to see football success they're eventually going to look back on this and be like we just threw away so much um without doing really any due diligence just because they wanted a good football team it's just it's just cheating above ground at this point um there's no these guys cannot be these businesses cannot be gaining that much off of these kids so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens i don't really know a whole lot about how it's working at Ole Miss or any of these places because I left kind of before this thing was enacted, but just kind of following it from afar. I I'm so happy. I'm not having to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. There was a great uh, TV tease in there. It's like coming up next on undisputed. I'm going to tell you why Spencer Rattler is the Dogecoin of college football <laughs> back after this, but you're exactly right. I mean, it's, Wait, you talk to people that work in compliance. I mean, not even like, not even for like stories and stuff, but just trying to figure this out. And like, they kind of give you the, Eh, I think like, I mean, cause there's different state laws. There's, there's no federal look as much as people want to, I wrote about this when it first became legal, as much as people want to shit on Mark Emmert, like he kind of had a point begging Congress to step in and enact some sort of national legislation yes. because when there's no uniform set of rules, it's like, what one, how can we regulate this? Which I'm sure was partially their concern, I guess. But two, it just becomes a complete and utter shit show for the lack of a better phrase, because I say that I'm not even sure how much the NCAA wanted to regulate it. I think it was the great compromise of, okay, we got to give these kids some money. You can't have any of our money, but if you want to make some extra one that doesn't involve us, you're going to have that. And I guess we'll try to regulate it because that's technically our job, but we don't actually care. So yeah, I mean, they're not being a set of rules is, is, is the wild west to use another cliche. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to keep on going on this one for too much longer just because I think both of us are don't exactly know what's going on the inside. But 
at this point, it's just kids coming up and they're like, yeah, I want an NIL deal. And like, then I'll come to your school. Uh, let's make it $1.5 million. I saw what Bryce Young got. And this guy is a, you know, a very good, call him a, you know, four-star offer take kind of kid. If I'm like a staff, I'm like kick rocks. Like, are you kidding me? What do you expect us to do? I mean, especially if you're like Ole Miss or TCU or these kind of like, you know, you're not in the top five, but you're in the top 20. Like, I mean, TCU is a private school money. Like they don't, they barely pay their coaches that well. You think you're going to pay it, work on a deal to pay a kid over a million dollars and you haven't stepped foot on campus. I mean, you could be a total bust. You could transfer in a year. It just doesn't make any sense. And the last part of that is like, you know, you talk about it being unregulated. It does seem like the one thing I think the NCA is pretty much on its way to being obsolete from an enforcement standpoint. But if you wanted to point you out tell a way, that to Oklahoma State basketball, yeah, poor Kyle <laughs> that poor Mike Boynt. I love the Mike Boynt. I know he was emotional and that sucked for him, but uh, like, I love the brutal honesty of, hey, don't do what we did. Like that, that to me was great. I wish he would have gone all in. That would have been fun. Me too, because there's a guy down in uh, your old neck of the woods who might be next. I'm not really sure. I saw a report he met with investigators today. Uh, neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> wiretap will, as Borky used to call him on the radio. But point being, if there's a way. Like that, you could see this five years down the road, and the NCAA still has some sort of teeth. It's technically the fact that these kids can't like facilitate these deals until they're actually a part of the school and sign NILs in like, oh, uh, yeah, sure, not sign NIL, <laughs> sign letters of intent. So, like, if there's a still the underbelly left, it's putting the deals in place before the kids sign. But that's right. again, topic for another day, really not even relevant at this point. I'm curious to see if that's ever enforced. So I'm curious. We can start a number of different ways with this, but I wrote a decent bit in the newsletter on Wednesday. We're recording this on a Wednesday night, but this is dropping on a Friday about kind of the complicated legacy of Hugh Freeze. And I don't want to get into all that. I know you didn't work for Freeze, but the part I I mentioned about his on-field perception uh, kind of being better than maybe what it could have or should have been is because he didn't have to bear the on-field fallout of his recruiting lapses because scholarship limitations aside, and the general cloud that that NCA investigation cast upon Ole Miss's program, the to me the main reason, and there may be their equal parts in some forms, is the main reason Ole Miss really struggled for as long as they did. That being three, four years, is because of how bad they were defensively and the lack of impact the guys they had on, particularly the defensive side, but both sides of the football in some cases. And I think that stemmed from Freeze, and he didn't have to see any of that. He resigns in disgrace after the 16 year where they go five and seven, and his shtick, I think, was kind of wearing off. I think you saw people tuning him out towards the end of 16. You know, they, you had the, the Terry Caldwell deal on the sideline at LSU towards the end of 16. Like, things were starting to come unraveled in terms of a culture standpoint. And so I don't like, again, I made this take on the Wednesday show. I'll, I don't have a ton of problems saying that I'm not sure Hugh Freeze would have gone six and six in 2017. Um, I, I think there's a world where he could have gone worse. And then I think it could have definitely been worse in 2018. And then who the hell knows after that? But the point being was, I think it's one of the more understated parts of all of this is his lack of recruiting um, for you know, about three cycles there. And part of that was a little bit NCAA scrutiny because that 17 class, 16 maybe, I can't remember which one it was. It was 17 technically because he had that terrible quote that no one ever actually picked up and ran up on was he got asked about what how the NCAA penalties or potential penalties or investigation factored into the recruiting class. And he literally said with a straight face, I'll never forget where I was sitting in the IPF. He goes, well, this class was a penalty. 
like as he's at the signing day press conference. And I was like, <laughs> how has this not gone viral on Twitter? But any point, be that as it may, I think that was indicative of kind of what was happening and things to come. And before we kind of go through some names, and I know this was before your time, but you've mentioned this a couple of times, you know, the difference between recruiting stars, recruiting rankings and hitting on kids. I think Freeze is the epitome of that. Kind of give me a general, whichever way you want to go with this difference and how fans look at the ESPN shows on signing day and think, hell yeah, they got the number five class in the country or number four class based on 247 or blah, 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 versus how you guys look at it. Is that annoying to you guys at all? And how did you view the perception versus reality? Well, I guess the, the best way to say it was we, just as a recruiting staff and everyone there, really facilitated what the coaches need to do and who they watched and who they evaluated and what they saw. And we just didn't, yes, maybe initially you will, in the beginning of when you're starting recruiting a class, you will go through and you will put up the film on the top two, four, seven kids. Like you'll go through and put up the film on all 247 of the top guys, just as like a, a base level of, okay, let's see what we got here. Um, but the important thing to realize is that these coaches, like they don't know anything about recruiting rankings or care at all. That is from the top down. It, it is a hundred percent true. They just like, when I'll go give a list to like Levy and we'll sit there and watch them. And I've already watched them. He doesn't know who the hell these kids are. And if there's a kid from like Texas or something, he'll be like, okay, let me call this coach real quick. Probably even before we watch the kid. And he won't look at the recruiting ranking until I'd maybe bring it up to him after. That is pretty genuinely universal from the three, basically three different staffs that I watched. Um, it just, it's not a big factor. You always just start in state. You just go through every damn high school you can find in the state of Mississippi. That's where you start like in March or April of, um, of the year going ahead. So like, let's say the 19 class was my first class. So we're going through the 19 and the 20 kids and going in-state and then expanding. But you're not looking for rankings. You're just looking for kids and you're trying to find the diamonds. You're trying to find guys before people because offering first isn't, isn't the most important thing in the world, but it can be, just depends on the kid. So, I mean, I think a 2022 kid that when I was doing this for the 2022 class before I left, one of those guys was Larry Simmons. I found him first, showed him to D-Nix. D-Nix, two days later, showed him to uh, to Levy, and we offered him first. And then within two, three days, he had 25 offers. And that offering him first stuck. But no one even – he wasn't even ranked. It didn't matter. You just watch the kid's film and you're like, okay, this is a no-brainer from in-state. And it would, be the, it would be the same thing if the kid was from Alabama or Louisiana once you got to that point. It, the ranking only begins to really develop, you know, in their junior and senior year. But you're starting so much earlier that it's like, who cares what these kids are? The only, the only reason they're ranked is because they're probably one of those kids that goes to camp after camp after camp as a freshman and sophomore. They probably even haven't even put – realistic film on tape yet that you can really evaluate and trust so they, all the rankings are coming from all these people and these kids who will put themselves out there whereas you really start building and looking through a lot of kids that haven't gotten there yet that's really kind of where you make the base of your class 
And some schools don't really have to do that. LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, they don't even have to do that because they'll probably get the pick of their litter no matter what. But they still do. I mean, that's why Alabama is so good is they continue to evaluate these kids that maybe aren't that highly ranked, but they're like, yeah, this is ridiculous. Like this kid's a no brainer. Um, but it's just, it's, it truly, truly, truly is not that big of a deal to staffs, even though I can understand from people on the outside seeing a class not filled with five stars and being frustrated. Yeah. Cause I, it's a, it's a decent general gauge for the fans to understand how recruiters go. Cause when you look at it over the years, the team with the most four and five star kids end up being more successful than the teams that don't. But to your point, it's not even, it's a, it's a gauge. It's not a calculation by any short stretch of the yeah. imagination. One of the, I mean, I could have gone a million different ways with you in that answer. And this is someone who proclaims to not be interested in recruiting the the you talk about going through and finding kids how tedious of a process is that going through and like when you say going and trying to find kids and starting the in-state like when kind of give me a scope of like actually how many kids and how many schools and how much film you're watching that would seem like an incredibly long and tedious process yeah it, it definitely can be I mean it takes up a large part of my day when I was when I that was my main job um we were lucky enough to have and most schools have it just a bunch of different databases databases of camp film with verified information we had a really a nice huddle account that most people have where you can basically just type in names and kind of filter through whatever they list themselves at which is always nonsense um it, but it takes a long time and you know i usually just started with going through who were in the 5a playoffs last year and then who are their teams in their district and go through their roster I mean, there are times I'll click on a kid's name. I'll watch one play and be like, eh, <laughs> or one or two plays. You're like, I shouldn't have even clicked on this. But then you find a kid where like Xavier Harris and he lists himself at like six, eight, three fifty. I'm like, who the hell is this kid from, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And you turn on his film and, you know, I watched his, I guess it was a sophomore stuff. And I was like, okay, like maybe not the most quick footed kid, but this kid is a legit six, seven, 300 pounds. And he's a sophomore. I don't even care about the rest. Like has to be watched immediately. It's incredibly tedious. And there's so many camps, all these kids go to um, that you're sifting through a ton of crap. Um, but that was part of the job. And that was the most fun part of the job was trying to find the kids. You know, that was kind of like a competition amongst everyone upstairs was like who how many like no offer kids can we find and that was kind of a motivation for us because at the end of the day it's the coach's decisions like who cares what you think about them um to an extent of course if you have a good relationship with the coaches then they they absolutely care but the coaches will watch and they'll make the final decisions but it's up to you to kind of give them a qualified group to watch I think I've asked you this before, but it's been a while and I may be a different variation of it, but you mentioned the Larry Simmons kid where you showed him to Levy, y'all offer him, you were first on it. And then he has, you know, whatever you said offers three, four days later, how long did it take you to get comfortable to the point? I know that's your job to go find kids, but what was the knack of like looking for kids and being like, okay, this kid's good because I've actually just tried to play a game with myself sometimes in high school games. Like I'll, watch a half of these games, particularly stringing out here because Texas has so many kids and be like, oh, I wonder which one of these kids could actually go play college football. And then at halftime, I'll go just because I'm bored. I'll go look up how, like, how many of them are actual prospects and see like how I did. And uh, it's not great. It probably align with my college GPA. But 
like, how long did it take you to get comfortable enough to be like, all right, I know it with this kid. I'll give it to Lebby. And then I imagine on top of that, you mentioned if you have a good relationship with the coach, if you have a bigger hit rate of like not going to him with a guy that's like the co- where the coach is going to be like, why the hell did you bring me this shit? Happened it's all like, oh, time. you actually have something here. That's kind of how you build credibility, I imagine. How long did it take you to get comfortable with that? What's the process of that like? Uh, I would say when I was a student, that was working on the 19 class. It probably took me about a year, okay. um, maybe a little bit less than a year um, before, like, the coaches trusted me and I trusted myself going through all these kids and whatnot because there's so much – the only way you really get better with it is talking to the coaches, asking them what they're seeing, and then just watching a crap ton of film. You just keep doing it over and over again. You see the differences. You see what some kids can do that some can't. Um, and then, of course, once you get to see them in person at camp, that's just a completely different aspect of the evaluation that changes up so many different things. But um, I was fortunate enough to work with uh, John Summerall, and he was – as nice and as you know honest with me as possible and help me really do what I needed to do as well as Siski and Brennan Chapman and all of them and everyone you don't want guys working for you that can't do their job well <laughs> so I mean that was their job Fair to enough. teach all these kids that were starting early on like how to do it and I was able to grasp it pretty quickly and they trusted me enough to you know bring me on full-time after I graduated and all that so that's interesting because, so, by the way, Summerall had as good a reputation as like a talent evaluator, media wise. Like, anytime you asked anyone about him, you're like, Yeah, this guy's sharp as shit. When I mean, it wasn't even just talent evaluation, it was coaching wise. Like, he was the like, best. This guy's coming, like, he, he will be a rising star in the industry. And then, I mean, what happened, right? Kentucky offered him more money. Like, Stoops was like, I want this guy. And, and he played there. It, yeah, no, he, exactly. Like a homecoming yeah. type deal. Like, it was kind of easy, but like, he sought him out. I was like, I want this guy. Um, so I guess that's as good a time to get into this as anything. So I'll just pull up. I, this was a fun game to play. I played it with Chase on the phone earlier, actually, <laughs> of can you remember this kid? Did he do anything? So just to kind of give me a gauge, because we hadn't talked about this before. I know you were into recruiting. How like how closely did you follow this before you started working? I, it's mostly just my curiosity. I followed it, but it's I wouldn't say I was like, you know, a big proponent watching all these kids film and everything I mean I, I knew what was going on and you know my friends did too and we I followed it maybe more than the average person but I wouldn't say I was just like all in on all this stuff um but I mean I enjoyed it and I I played against a lot of guys and I like to see where they went um and it was something I always wanted to do but I'm not going to sit here and say I knew all these kids and you know what where they went to high school and how good they were coming out, but we can do the exercise and believe me, it'll be, it'll be fun regardless. Oh, it's, it's about to be fun. No, I was the same boat, but worse. I mean, how half the time I was working in it. I, I never luckily never worked for a site like rebel Grove or something where recruiting was a part of it. So my whole deal was to talk to as many people about a month before signing day. I had an idea of who most of these kids were and then kind of get a scope very general scope of the land and then pretend like I knew what I was talking about, which is about 90% of my job anyway, even to this day. Um, so let's just go through it. The last preface though I had for this was you mentioned these coaches like don't care about the rankings. Is that the coaches that are in charge of actually going to get these kids head on? Because part, I think part of this Hugh free story is the fact that ego was a lot of times involved. I really don't have any problem saying this out in the open, particularly one, it being after the fact. And two, I, I know this is true but hit ego being involved where 
I give an example. For the most part, if it was borderline, they had one or two spots left, and it was an offensive kid and a defensive kid, most of the time it was going to the offensive kid, and particularly if there was a four-star-ish receiver available, there was some ego involved there. How common is that, or would you say that's a little bit of an outlier amongst head coaches when it comes to the kind of the nitty-gritty time? What are we doing with this last scholarship? Um, I would say that's pretty uncommon. Um, Probably you, telling. You, you, you don't – when it comes down to those last few kids and the last spots, it's always about, you know, there's kind of two ways to look at it. It's positions of need and best available. And the best available in your terms of your evaluation, which, I mean, you just have to trust your coaches and, you know, your staff. Like, that's all you can do. Um, you can either do – you can do the one. You could take the best player available or you can take a position of need. But, I mean, especially with Coach Luke and even more with Coach Kiffin, honestly, like, they don't even know the rankings. They would never even look. They don't even – probably don't even know what the websites are. Okay. So they're, they're looking at the evaluations and now with the transfer portal, that makes it even easier. If it's like a question mark and you're like, I'm not like really fully on in on this kid. He's just not going to, no one's going to take him anymore because you can go find probably an equal or more known commodity at a different place and just go sign him, which is easier said than done. It's not like he's just going to a kid X is just dying to go to Ole Miss. That was a, something we ran into a few times this past year uh, or the year before or whatever. So it just depends. That was a fantastically telling answer and you didn't even have to try to make it that way, which is probably the crux of the, the validation, all the validation we needed to do this exercise. All right, let's do this. Let's start with 2015. Cause you had, I hold on, make sure that. 20... Can you email me this stuff? I'm going to pull it up too. Oh, I have it up. We're good. Yeah. Ju- I'm literally on this two, four, seven page, which I don't even know if I'm like, contractually obligated to go rivals i'm mostly joking we can go 247 yeah let's go 247 um let's start let's start with 15 because there's enough decent players in 14 which makes me sound like i'm jading my argument point being that NCAA investigation hadn't ramped up yet so the 2015 class because the big two big ones right with Ole Miss for the 2013 and then the 16 classes and then it kind of got weird after that and there was one in between but let's start with 15 so 15 Notice the differences on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. So DeMarcus Lodge, Javon Patterson, checkbox, checkbox. Those are two pretty good college players. You know, one of them's kind of kicked the tires in the NFL a little bit. Van Jefferson in the NFL. Yeah, he was a transfer casualty. He is a hell of a football player. <laughs> he was just the kid that, I mean, he was he was just the fourth guy amongst those three, right? Like that. Well, that, I think it was a little bit of that. Um, I mean, those three were pretty damn good, but I think he was the kid that, um, he left for Florida whenever they le- allow kids to leave. So they at least got it right to begin with. Oh, there. that's right. He was in the Patterson. Like, you know, you can leave if you want to get out of there. Yeah. Um, Eric Sweeney, who that is, I can't, you can't hold that against him because that kid had two catastrophic leg injuries. If you yeah. remember, it was just not, that's not something that you can care. The recruiting process, DJ Jones still playing in the NFL, pretty good player. Um, Tony Bridges was a good ish college player. That's a Juco kid. Armani Linton never really panned out. That's a Walnut Mississippi kid. Willie Hibbler was a guy they couldn't figure out what to do with. I want to say they played him at defensive end a little bit and maybe a little bit of linebacker. Linebacker. If I'm not, maybe I have that wrong. He was okay. He contributed. Cam Orderway uh, never panned out. Corner. Jason Pellerin, who 
might still have eligibility. I'll have to go back and double check. Great, great kid. He was a double major kid. I actually played in that division. That's Catholic New Iberia. He, oh, uh, that is Catholic. He, um, he and Shea Patterson, who was also in my division when I was playing high school, they played two absolute classic games against each other. That being said, Jason Pellerin should have just been a tight end in college from the from the jump. That kid, he was just a, a freak playing in like a triple option for for them over there. But that's just a story for me. Continue. Chad Kelly, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> Montrell Custis never panned out. Uh, Hampton, Georgia kid. Jalen Julius, he contributed, but I would not come a good player. Oh. Alex Givens, good SEC offensive lineman. Very. Mike, Michael Howard. No, just what's your take on him? That was the kid in, in, in 2019 where all the coaches, like you would talk to him, like if he can keep weight on, he could be a tackle for us. I'm like, well, that, that doesn't sound great. You're, you mean the starting tackle? And they'd be like, yes, that didn't seem good. Ross Donnelly. I remember the name never did anything. Terry Caldwell, decent linebacker. Um, kind of his, his career faded out towards the end in 2016, but he was decent. Zedrick Woods, who actually ended up playing in the secondary, but listed as an outside linebacker. Sean Curtis and Jacob Feely round out this class. I, you could tell me who both of those were, and I would just agree. I don't know who either of them are. Yeah, and then two very important ones here at the bottom, because if I remember correctly, this was before – if you sign these kids – God, this is so bad, just realizing it. This was before they came that, that – gave that rule. So these two kids clearly went JUCO – but they still counted against the kids that you signed. So this so is Rasul Clemens and Joe Anderson, by the yeah, way. They I, signed but never I, showed up. Signed, never showed up. I think they still count against your scholarship limit. They eventually got rid of that rule, I believe. Um, so that that's basically just giving away two roster spots. So we're going to have those coming up. So that one's not a terrible class. You had – because mostly, keep in mind, I'm keeping most of this defensive focus because it's hard to – it's hard to fault what Freeze did recruiting from an offensive standpoint for the most part. They're pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, that one, not so terrible. So the 16 class is kind of the last two rob before, if you'll remember the second NOA drops on that weird day, you had the hostage video um, and all that. There were some leaks going on trying to derail this class right before signing day. I don't mean to make that sound like an old Miss agenda thing, but look, man, go, you ever get real, real bored go find every Pat 40 Dan Wolken story and line that up with national signing day in February, 2016. And try to tell me that wasn't necessarily strategic based on whoever it was. All right. 2016, Greg, little Shea Patterson. Okay. Pretty good players. Benito yeah. Jones, really good player. AJ Brown. I think he's okay. He's uh, skydiver, Deontay Anderson. Fournette just took all of his football career in one play basically. I have never seen so many angry emails. I was at the student newspaper at the time, and the story I read with that night, the, my lead was Leonard Fournette doing what he did to Deontay Anderson. And I got so many pissed off emails, and including a couple people around the football program that were not happy with it. And I'm sitting there like, dude, this is a student newspaper. I don't read this shit, and I'm in charge of putting it together. Like, why are you people upset? Anyway, did not pan out. DK Metcalf, Octavius Cooley, good kid. Trey Nixon, when he ended up, de- he's a decent player at UCF, wasn't he? After a while, oh yeah, he was. He was really good. Levy was like, "How the hell did y'all get rid of that kid?" <laughs> really? So I, think, it- I think I think he was another transfer guy when when it all became available. I think I think he just decided to head on out, and that was probably best for him. And some of that, when you have the transfer thing, when they allowed you to head on out, 
the amount of depth they had at receiver had to play into the Nixon Jefferson thing, right? Because you had to look at it and be like, I'm not, I'm not becoming a main guy here. Jalen Jones, who is still on the active roster. Ridiculous. That's amazing. Chuck Wiley, he contributed, I guess. Um, Devon Blue Pinneman, who just one knee injury ruined his career, basically. Great call. Uh, that poor kid. He had such a great attitude about just sticking around. I've never, I've never felt so bad for someone when he came in after they moved him to tight end in like nineteen or something. It was like, man, this is a great kid, but this sucks. Bryce Matthews never stuck around. Justin Connor, a running back. I, I could not tell you what happened to him. Jacob, we we honestly like. You don't even have to go down this list because you can just see in this class exactly what you need to see you see six guys at the top that were very very good players and then once you start at basically Penniman and you go down with the exception of Royce Freeman none of these guys are contributors agree we'll just do it real quick to it Eli Johnson Josiah Coatney was a contributor um one of the one of the uh this guy here is dead guys that I had was Greg Eisworth I I South Grand Prairie kid I've been to that high school since I moved out here working I I I, I, I couldn't tell you what he did or what he looks like. Played at Iowa State. I don't even think he ever made Oh, it. you're exactly right. And he was pretty good, wasn't he? I think he was actually a decent player. All things Jer- Jerry on Street, who I think ended up moving sides of the football, Miles Hartsfield, Jack the Four, Dietrich Bing Dukes, and then – but that's that's kind of the first one what I'm kind of getting at. Their defensive guys in this class right here are Bing Dietrich Bing Dukes, Dante Evans, who I remember one week had to start a home game at linebacker, and was just like, my God, how are they? Like, how are they in this situation? I don't know why I remember that. Coatney, um, Jalen Jones, Deontay Wait, how Anderson, many, how and many Benito Jones. Why was this so eight? offensive heavy? Wait, they took. This is a fun, would be a fun Brennan Chapman conversation. One, two, three. Four, five. They took like eight of the twenty-five is on defense. That's correct. That so that's insane. what I was trying to get at. That's I'm glad you caught on to that. That's this class. Remember, this was the heralded class. Is like, is this better than the 2013 class in the moment? But it's all offense. There were no defensive kids. <laughs> and so I imagine if you is that how common is that? We'll just this is a good first good kind of pit stop point. It's in, it's on believably uncommon well and i imagine if it's that uncommon you can't have that many misses in there on the defensive yeah, side. i mean like i like we both know i did not i was not here during all this i was a student but i really haven't we kind of went through and looked at this we did a few you know, they call them studies which is really that's a that's a stretch but um kind of seeing like where we got kids from and in the past and everything but never really did like by position i did not know i mean you would never do fill a class like this um, with just so unbalanced. Um, yeah, I don't know. But this yeah. is kind of what I'm getting at is that, it, again, I don't want to go straight on full ego here, but people were pumped about this class. You were in college when I was. That was like, okay, they're going to be okay here. This is a sick class. Greg Little, Shay Patterson. Remember how pumped when Benito Jones, like when Benito Jones committed? Uh, was Deontay this, Anderson this, dove out yeah. of a plane. Uh, they but got this was the, um, sorry to interrupt. This was no, the go Jeff, ahead. This was the Jeff Simmons year, wasn't it? This is correct. That was the one kid they didn't get, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yeah, I remember that. We were all watching it. So we sent a kid to his signing ceremony and he was like, hey, he went to state. What do I do? And I was like, I guess just come home. We'll pay you for gas, kid. Yeah, that would have been quite a difference maker. But continue. But I I, I still. But this is this is the start of the downfall, in my opinion, because this is Harold is this great class. You know, if after the 15 class, if this class had not been perceived the way it was in the media and I'm, I'm putting my hand up as, as well as part of kind of being a part of the problem in this, the smoke around the NCAA investigation becomes a lot more deadly, I would say for lack of a better phrase, but this was kind of passed off and written about as like this heralded class. And my God, I mean, how many kids made an impact on the defensive side of the ball in this class and offenses, there were some misses. So to me, this is the beginning of it. And then it gets weird. This is when you're like, okay, they have a real bad defensive problem here. Because you remember they had the number one defense in college football in 14. They were good-ish in 15. And if you remember, 16, they're up 28-6 at Florida State. Mm -hmm. And it's like, holy hell, this team might win the whole thing. And by the end of it, Taylor Polk is getting serious run at linebacker. And they were 5-7 and and got run out of the building at Vanderbilt. um, And then lost to the Egg Bowl 55-20. So, so, so you're saying that's pretty uncommon to have that unbalanced of a class. Why, why do you yeah. think this happened? Just based, best guess, not knowing anything. I, I truly, I couldn't give a guess. I do not know. And it's, it's really hard to comment on, you know, one, I know a few guys that were working there. Sure. Um, and so you just don't know what was going on day to day. I don't even know who really was in charge, but I think that's probably kind of where the issue stems from. I do not know who was running it, but if you look at basically every single SEC team now, there is a version or at least a semi part of a version of what Nick Saban created. And um, who, who was this guy? Kind of like the Ed Marinowitz, who kind of began the scouting departments of college football. And I don't know. My guess is Ole Miss probably didn't have something like that in 16. So, wasn't it part who, of it the what is Barney Farrar? What does he actually do type of deal? Right. So it's, I think it's probably just comes down to organization. And I know that sounds like it's not important. No, that's a great you, answer. I, that's a great point I hadn't thought about. Being organized. I mean, you can, I mean, I worked in 19, 20, 21. You can say anything you want to say about, you know, the evaluations and everything, all that and the success in the field. But basically, the, one of the main parts of the recruiting office is just having everyone on the same page and organized. And that's, it's, it's a simple answer. And it really is truly the most important thing. If you just have a system, work through the system, kind of give the coaches, you know, put the, put the ball on the tee for them. Like it's their job to hit it. Um, And that's so key, especially these days where they have so many off the field staff, everything. If you've got everyone on the same page, everyone on the same understanding of how you're running the thing from a recruiting standpoint, you won't end up with a class of, you know, 19 offensive guys and seven defensive guys. It just, you just won't happen. You won't be scrambling at the end. You'll know exactly where you are. And that doesn't mean you're going to get every kid that that never happens, but at least you'll know exactly where you stand, where everyone stands on each side of the ball. And it just makes everything so much smoother but of course, with NCAA stuff, you can throw all that out the door, which I guess you'll see in this next class. <laughs> sure. But that to me, that's a tremendous point, because for someone that started working, I mean, we're basically the same age, right? You were a year behind me in school. But like working yeah. wise, I was kind of in the same like 
sphere, I guess, in terms of going into full-time work when you were, I think we have such short memories about this is like, I say we talking about me and like people in media, it wasn't always this way in terms of having the Siskis and the team and the shark tank and all that. And you're bringing out that like, you know, something like that, I don't want to put words in your mouth, probably wouldn't happen now. Whereas back then there's a real possibility where they sign these kids. And then maybe a day or two later, someone looks up and is like, wait, what, what the hell is this? We have seven defensive kids. Yeah. I mean, well, there, I mean, Siski, you know, was at Ole Miss and then went to Alabama and came back and everything. Um, but he's not the only one out there. I mean, Matt Lindsay was at Alabama. And sure. Jeff Martson, who's not in football anymore. And he was a guy that went follow Mel Tucker to Colorado. It's all these, there's so many people that are now running these departments who are from that system, truly from one place, Alabama, or there's some guy at Ohio state. So the North version was at Ohio state with urban Meyer back in the days. Those teams are pretty damn successful. <laughs> I would say and there's so. a reason why everyone was like, all right, well, let's just start figuring out how we can get this kind of level of organization and evaluation. And now I guess kind of in 18, 19, you saw that the personnel departments in college football explode, truly explode. I mean, I went to a personnel, you know, symposium conference in 20 and they've had it for three years. And they said they had like a hundred people then like 300 people. The year I went, they had like, 3,000 people. I mean, that's just wow. how many people want to work in it in order to, of course, get to the NFL, but also just because they enjoy stuff like this and want to be a part of a football program. So it's so much bigger, whereas you probably just won't see stuff like that anymore. We'll run through these last two classes really quickly because I think people are starting to get the point if this is good podcasting in terms of rolling through all these. But 2017, Didi Bowie, which – I'll consider partially defensively because if I remember correctly, when they landed him, they weren't a hundred percent positive what side of the football he played. He turned out to kind of be from an on-field standpoint, a disaster. Anyway, I don't mean an indictment on the kid. Uh, Breon Dixon never contributed. Momo Sonogo is still around. And look, when they sucked, he was a good productive player. It's kind of your thing. The productive player is not always a great player, but he was out there and he yep. was productive. Um, Tony Gray, that's offense. I don't remember much about him at all. Cam White, the Clinton kid, where did he end up? What the hell happened to him? Don't know. I mean, well, the I mean, five of these top six guys ended up transferring. Josh Clark, that's a New Orleans kid. Yeah, Braylon's never. Still there. Braylon Sanders still around. Markel Winters, that's a defensive end. I don't remember what happened to him. That's a JUCO kid. He never. He just never contributed. I don't remember. AJ Harris transfer. Okay, transfer. Brendan Williams. I uh, was on the team for a while. I don't really remember too much about him. I don't. He didn't do anything. That was the kid. That was another borderline in in like linebacker guy, if I'm not mistaken. Jamar yeah. Richardson. I remember him at least playing slightly, but not much of a contributor. Mm-hmm. Um, JV and Hamilton. He played. He played a little bit. Yeah. Ben Brown, Tamu, Alex Faniel, or Faniel, however you say it. CJ Miller, who, uh, your guy Siski was always kind of high on in terms of practice. He would always be like, look how good some of these kids, like he'd be like, look at his hips or like watch his feet. And he's like, but he'll never play the like play because he hadn't got it all together. I'm like, well, he's standing <laughs> 12 feet from us. This like chill. Like I'm, I, I was just standing in practice. Like what are so did nice you trying to say that? Do you have any, <laughs> do you have any over overwhelming opinions on CJ Miller? Just cause that was a guy that Siski brought up while I was just standing at practice at no less than twice. I don't I barely I mean I remember him being a, a good looking kid out there in pads. 
And I'm not really trying to be mean to the kid. That that's I, that's what I remember. I mean, I think I think he transferred at some point too. And I think you're starting to see kind of a correction here because I haven't skipped anybody. This is defensive heavy class. And I think there's a reason for that, right? I mean, eventually you'd have to overcorrect. And so I'll just keep going for these last couple. Sincere David, who I think is technically still on this roster with an injury, but clearly never contributed. Um, I remember the date that he announced with his tweet that he was signing with Ole Miss. I texted Kyle Campbell and I was like, is this guy real? Um, maybe it was just the name. Uh, Ryder Anderson. Okay, fine. Zy Baker was in the mix to contribute, but wasn't ever any good. And then no. Isaiah Wooler, great story. Um, actually contributed a little bit that first year Scotty Phillips got hurt. He was um, the backup running back. <laughs> yeah, four string. He is still on the team now is, I think, like the fifth or sixth string. In set, in 18, he got pretty good run. Uh, Scotty Phillips twisted an ankle. And I think, well, I don't want to say this wrong, but I'm pretty sure Willard had close to 100 yards at Vanderbilt that year. Yeah. Um, not that that matters at all. And then the three NIL, uh, the NIL kids, Jesus, it, letters of intent. Uh, Chester Graves, who never worked out, but I remember being freakishly talented. Ole Miss sent Javonta Payton a letter of intent that he signed. How about that? And then Takeon Reed or whatever had the legal issues with the robbery, um, which is very casually put, but like that was just immediate, like a week after, okay, he's done. So, yeah. Le- so last class, eight, 2018 class, Elijah Moore, Matt Corral, Miles Battle, Jalen Cunningham. So those are contributors, the first three, to Cunningham. This, this is still a class. You're still getting smoked by the NCAA here, right? Like you have like a bowl ban. Like this, That's this a is, great point. And this is the first real bad. one. Remember, the sanctions come down. And so 17, I say this, the first one, 17 and 18 were the two hard years. That's a great way to preface it, which to Luke's credit, I mean, the top three, Matt Corral, Elijah Moore, Miles Battle, that's not a terrible start. Um, Jalen Cunningham, Kevontae Ruggs, who actually came up in our fantasy football group chat today, um, brother of Henry Ruggs, don't really want to get into that. Kevontae Ruggs was True freshman starting against Texas Tech and within yeah. like a month was just kind of AWOL. Scotty Phillips. I, um, Ruggs, so that was Summerall's first year when I was working with him. So I dealt with a lot with the linebackers. Talk about it, just a physical specimen. I don't know if you remember that Tech game, but he ran down the field, concussed himself, the first kickoff and destroyed some guy on a kickoff, concussed himself. And basically, like, just could not come back from it. And then left. we so, so that was Houston, exciting there for like one quarter. <laughs> I, no, it wasn't. It was electric. I, I'm electric. glad you brought up that story. So <laughs> it's some inside baseball. I'm not ashamed to admit this. Now, Walker Robertson, our buddy, lives in Houston, still lives in Houston, had just moved out there after school. I'm 22, 23 at the time. First full time job. Um, let's just say we got after it that Friday night. It was an 11 a.m. kick. I'm walking in. I'm sitting there thinking I'm either about to yak and get fired or find some food. And we're going to make it through this day one way or another. And rugs does that on the opening kickoff and the press box at NRG stadium is so high up. You can't tell who's big and who's not. So it just looked like two dominoes hitting one another, but let's just say one domino suffocated the other one. All of a sudden he hit that kid and there was no black Jersey. It was just the white Jersey on top of him. And I was like, Holy shit. What, what happened? Can we zoom in on this? he concusses himself and you know things went sideways for him after that vernon dasher who like 
That was a kid they tried. I feel like they tried as hard as they could to get him in the mix. Do you remember much about him? No. They no. tried a lot. He was kind of a tweener between a linebacker and a safety. Uh, I think they tried to make him into a Tony Connor type. If someone's out there being like, you're an idiot, that's probably true. I'm just going off the top of my head. Jacquez yeah. Jones, decent player. Hal Northern. Again, these are all defensive-heavy classes, and I think looking back, it's probably because of this 16 class, a lot of it. Katie Hill. Can't call that a failure. Another Cam White, Cam with a C, Madison Central kid. I don't remember anything about him. Never made it to campus. Oh, okay. That might be why. Hamilton Hall, he's around, but no. Jacory Hawkins, eh. And then yeah. Tisdale, who signed a letter of intent in 2016, comes back from Juco. Quentin Bivens, Keydron Smith, resident mascot Jonathan Hess, and then Luke Knox. Empty night. Yeah, sorry, Tyler Knight, and then a zero star, Ford Wernis. I'm guessing that's a uh, preferred walk on. But no, yeah, I've never heard that name in my life. Oh. So th- when you kind of try to encapsulate why Ole Miss has been as bad as defensively as they were for a while, would you agree or disagree? I don't want to put words in your mouth. A lot of this was that unbalanced 2016 class. And then this poor staff having to overcorrect the mid NCA sanctions to where if you miss, it's just amplified. Do you think there's any credence to that at all? I mean, I, I would say that would be a good hypothesis. You know, that would be the, a good start. It, it's just hard to comment when you're not there. Sure. I, I don't want to, you know, just dump on people that were doing their jobs and doing their jobs under ridiculously difficult circumstances. Cause even the 19 class, yeah, it's all kind of over, but you're still under probation. So you're, you're fighting with a hand tied behind your back still. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they were trying to overcompensate. Um, there are some stories about how they just trying to fill these classes that I'm not going to tell, but that are at least interesting. Um, it's just a lot and it was difficult NCA wise and you're, you're screwing up your numbers and everything. And you obviously are down numbers cause you can't sign as many kids. I mean, it's just an impossible. It was an incredibly difficult task from a coaching staff standpoint and a recruiting staff standpoint. So it, it's hard to just sit here and just, just blame and shame too much, but at the same time, like that's, it's still your job and you got to do, you got to do a damn good one in the SEC, and they were not able to evaluate well um, considering the circumstances. I mean, you really had shots to take, you know, a lot of flyers on guys that may have had traits that you were like, okay, and, you know, they they missed on a lot of them, and that's just unfortunately part of the business. Well, yeah, and, like, I was even – and I know I know you weren't insinuating this. I wasn't even trying to get at the blame and shame aspect of it because no, from the Luke standpoint, who your boss was – his first class was really that 18 one because he gets the full-time job and at the end is 17 or whatever, or I guess it was really first full one was the 19 because whatever you saw in the 18 class. But as you know, when you're don't know if you're going to be the permanent guy, and I guess it's a little bit different when you don't bring in an outsider point being his first like full swing of the bat was actually a decent one with the 19 class. Like the, the other stuff was 17 being the wreckage of freeze then 18 being like, how in the world do we navigate? that we just got the full-time job and we have NCA sanctions. Like you said, it's an impossible situation and it's already hard enough to miss when you're dealt a full deck of cards in the sec. And then when you're handicapped, you're just kind of screwed. I just kind of find the recruiting aspect of it and how it mirrors the on-field off-field turmoil and success 
fascinating. So that kind of covers it. And the last like one or two things I wanted to get to before we get out of here is the purpose of this outside of the freeze exercise was Ole Miss needs to build depth. That's clear. Like they're a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball. I think the staff has used the portal exceptionally well to manufacture some kind of immediate depth. I mean, go through Jake Springer, you know, name the guy, Otis Reese, whomever, particularly in the secondary. If someone were to ask you, like just in general, and I know this is a bad general question, but like how hard is it to build depth in the truncated amount of time these staffs have to have success now before they're fired? Like how difficult is it to build depth in the SEC? It's it's incredibly difficult because no one has time to do it because of, you know, people get fired so quickly. Um, sometimes warranted, sometimes not. They, you know, it just depends. Um, I mean, it takes two full classes, probably three of, you know, just your staff and everybody doing what they need to do to fill depth. So even, you know, Kiffin's first class when I was still, when I stayed on and everything, I think they only signed 17 high schoolers because so many kids decommitted after, after uh, coach Luke was let go. So it's still a transition class. So you can't even, it's almost impossible to count it against them. I mean, you'll see what LSU is about to deal with, but the difference between LSU and Ole Miss is it's a hell of a lot easier to recruit at LSU. So at a place like Ole Miss depth wise, you know, you've got two in-state schools. So it's not like you can just pick and choose and draft your players in state. Because um, Mississippi State, they're always going to get their share, and you're fighting Alabama, and you're fighting Louisiana, fighting Arkansas, and unless you're winning at a ridiculous clip, you know the elite guys nationally, it, it's pretty difficult to recruit those kinds of guys. So you really, really, really have to do your due diligence, and it takes time. And I think what Kiffin and Levy and Durkin really, really, really like and have harped on from the onset was if this transfer thing is a real deal, like we're just not going to take high school kids that we don't think are going to be guys, like, or at least think we're going to be guys. You know, you, you can always be wrong. Everyone's always wrong at some point. Um, so I think they're going to have to build different ways. And I think you'll see that around the country where you're going to have classes of maybe 15 and 16 high school recruits and then like eight or nine, uh, transfers and that's just going to be how it is so you're saying not i'm not like not pin like shoehorning you into this but it is kind of interesting you're saying like the the kid people are going to be because of this transfer transfer portal deal they're going to be less inclined to take projects and like to me that excludes the offensive line right because every offensive lineman to some degree is a bit of a project but in other places where immediate positions of need they're going to be less inclined to take a kid that's like, oh, in two, three years, put some weight on him, blah, 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 could be a good player when you can just go find another one that's not in a great situation? It really just depends on what you think his traits are. And if you've seen the kid in person, I think that's the biggest and thing people don't really remember is in 2020 and 21, I mean, you didn't really have on-campus camps. Sometimes you never even saw these kids in person because you couldn't even go see them on the road either. How important are camps? That's a question I skipped earlier. They're just insanely important. As important as anything you do when it comes to, like, evaluations and recruiting. It is. Because you can watch all the film and see it, but just to see the kid in person, 
to see like, okay, what's his frame like, you know, how are his, does he have any stiffness in his hips? How does he compete? You know, is he a guy that jumps in the front of the line? Like you can learn so much, you know, physically evaluation, mentally evaluation, you get to meet the kids and probably his parents and, you know, a little, just, it's just a data point that you can add, but it's probably the most important one. And uh, it's just, it's just a different kind of way to see kids. And yeah, like there's, camp film on all these databases that Ole Miss and all these schools have. But even then it's like, we don't trust what their height weight speed is there. We need to see it for ourselves and really grade it for ourselves. And then now you can have all these verified stats on the kids as well as just body type. I mean, in person, you do whatever you do, you set up the drills and do everything. So it's, it's huge. It's incredibly important. And that wasn't there for two years. So when you're a school like Ole Miss who already, you know, doesn't recruit at the clip like some of these other SEC schools, and now you can't even get the kids on campus to see them in person, it makes it that much more difficult. I derailed you a little bit on the depth part of it, but I guess kind of a follow-up to that would be, I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this because you see it at LSU when it bottoms out LSU, you were on this way earlier where it's like, yeah, these kids have good classes, but there are a lot of misses there. This is something someone isn't hitting on to the point where I brought it up with Brody Miller saying that you said it. And he was like, I, that's pretty good point. Like there's, they have some kids that were supposed to contribute that either aren't here or aren't contributing or, you know, both weren't going to contribute and then left. How at a place like Ole Miss, how amplified is the need to hit versus miss? Because if there's a place that could afford to miss, it would seem like an Alabama and Ohio State or LSU, but it's almost like a backwards ass system to where like they can miss, but they don't because they have more to work with. They get their pick of the litter where Ole Miss has to one be better with kind of a less margin for error. If that makes any sense at all, like how, how big of an emphasis is that at a place like Ole Miss compared to Alabama? I mean, it's like everything. I mean, it is it is truly the most important thing. And the, the the coaches on the staff previously and the staff now, they know that they've all been different places where it's important. You know, not only so many of those guys have worked at like in Alabama or something like that. And I keep on bringing up Alabama because they're the best to ever do it. <laughs> That's why I bring it up. Um, like ever, ever. Like ever do it, ever in the history of everything. I mean, you just look at those guys' classes. They. It's the difference between Texas and Alabama is Alabama gets all the four and five stars and they evaluate them well. It's like every four star could be a five star. You know, they they just they're so amazing at it. They just don't miss very often. I mean, even Clemson, who's been incredibly dominant in recruiting, look at their season this year. They have done a really poor job evaluating offensive line players and the quarterback hasn't played that well. And they're four and four. It can happen like that. It is insane how quickly it can happen if you kind of miss on a few guys. But it's also important to remember that everyone misses at always. I mean, there was a uh, general manager in the NFL who traded up to draft Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> I mean, That's a great point. It happens at every level. It, it's not like a Ole Miss-centric problem or an LSU problem or a Texas problem. It just happens. But being organized and doing it all correctly – will do everything possible to at least put yourself in a position to be successful. How does Dabo and Clemson get to where they're at then? Is that just a ridiculous streak of not missing? How did he build that into what it is? Because he built it by literally not missing. I mean, he built it by developing 
and having time to do it. And remember, he didn't start off like just some rock star. I mean, they were sorry. That's my washer and dryer. They, no, uh, I'm glad you said that, though, because time is another aspect of this that people aren't afforded. Dabo, I'm not sure, survives to do what he did in today's modern age. It's kind of no, a point. Probably not. But he he they evaluated insanely well. They developed even better. And then they did the most important thing is they hit on like four straight quarterbacks, you know, from Taj Boyd to Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence to I mean, DJ doesn't really look that good this year, but no one on their in their right mind would have ever not taken him. <laughs> so and then they have a kid coming in the next year, Club Nick from Westlake, who is as I mean, a stud as well. So, I mean, they're not going to be gone forever, but some programs can develop it and then keep it going but not it's not as easy as it seems you know i think you're that was the reason i asked you like to i guess that there's a way to set up a question with the question about the dabba part is do you as someone who worked in this see a guy get fired after three years or something like that because the on-field results aren't what they are and i know you don't know the nuances of every situation or even pretend to but do you sometimes get frustrated with that? Because you mentioned it takes two to three classes to build the depth. And if you fire a guy after three years where his first class probably doesn't even really count as much because there's such a truncated amount of time, get frustrated at all about like, Jesus, this guy didn't have time to build. Like the old pre-social media, pre-$5 million man guy, you used to get four years no matter what. And that seemed quote unquote fair, right? That's three real classes plus your first one or however you want to do that math. Does that ever frustrate you at all as someone who worked in the industry? Because it seems like impatience often kills something that could have probably been okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's so many different extenuating circumstances to each individual, you know, deal, but yeah, I mean, having worked in it and you, you see some people, I mean, I think, I think Joe Moorhead's a great example. We're like, Joe Moorhead was there for like two years and recruited well and recruited pretty well definitely recruited pretty well and you know they just got rid of him because of like an impulse or like he wasn't a fit which is their fault in the first place if you didn't think he was a fit and I you know you see it all around where you know especially especially even these days like in the lower in the group of fives um I think like was it FIU got rid of they got rid of Mario Cristobal I think at one point after winning like seven games three years in a row or something like that you can look that up it's like, what are you doing? Like, who do you think you are? Like, why are you not letting them build or at least giving them a shot? And at some point, yeah, it's you can it, something gets stale or maybe the coaching like truly isn't up to par, which definitely happens. But just from a recruiting standpoint, it's it'll be a little bit easier now with the transfers. But just in general, like giving a guy two years is just not enough time like Norvell's going to deal with it right now at Florida State I mean they want his ass already but he's been there for one year and the one year was a COVID year so that basically from a recruiting standpoint is impossible so now like if he doesn't you know win 10 games next year they're gonna be wanting to fire him which is basically one full class I mean it just it, it's it is pretty crazy dynamite call on the Cristobal thing, dude. This is – so I just put up his Wikipedia page. So he was at FIU for five years, and I'll go down and pull up his record real quick. He goes – so that was a terrible program, clearly. One and 11, five and seven, three and nine, seven and six, eight and five. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, that was like 
their first bowls ever once they went up to the FBS level. Could be wrong about that. They fired him, right? Then he goes eight and five and then three and nine. And so they, he goes three and nine after their best season. I don't want to say ever because I'm not going to go down this deep down the rabbit hole, but that has to be close. And then they fire him after three and nine. And the quote on the Wikipedia page about the last paragraph of his FIU tenure were on December 5th, 2012, Cristobal was relieved of his position as head coach of the FIU football program. FIU athletic director Pete Garcia explained his reasoning for firing Cristobal as, quote, he's done a very good job for this program, but we've gone backwards over the last year and a half. Over the last 22 games, we've gone 8-14. and 14. So that's him mixing in the 8-5 and five year, which I'm guessing is their best no. probably ever with the 3-9 and nine year, and then says, then the Wikipedia says the decision by Garcia was heavily criticized for its rashness. Yeah, Maybe I mean, Mario Cristobal was ahead of his time. Yeah. That's wild. I never knew that happened. I, I remember that one. I, I definitely remember that one. That is uh, yeah. that, that kind of makes the point. Like he literally got in, probably had to deal with a transition class, finally got his guys in, brings FIU to win eight games two years in a row. And this could be, this whole deal could be put on any program, gets his guys in and then, you know, at a program like that, you're, you know, you have a bad year and then everyone wants to get rid of you. I mean, Dan Mullen, I mean, he's definitely had his issues this year with some of his statements. I think he's more of a prickly guy, but I think he started off like, like 10 and three and then like 11 and two and then like nine and four. He won the East last year. Yeah. And almost beat Alabama in the SU championship game. And now there's a whole other set of issues with Dan Mullen and especially on the recruiting end, but still it's like, golly, <laughs> like, what do you, like, not everyone is going to win this thing every year, especially when it's a 14 playoff. Like it's, you know, it's a fight for uh, an a, a irrelevant bowl game for 95% of the league. Shit. It's topical. We have a half second. What did you make of that? The Dan Mullen thing this week? Because, look, he's talking, clearly talking about media. He's pissed off the reporters asking it. So he, when he says we can talk about recruiting when it's recruiting time, clearly yeah. he's talking to the, like, reporters saying, hey, like, he's basically given – I mean, Mike Bianco has given me a million of these, but a metaphorical noogie through the phone mm-hmm. about being like, hey, shut up, stop asking questions I don't want to talk about. Um, but, like, what did you just make of that? Because, you know, to quote Stephen Godfrey, Dan Level – Dan – Jesus, Dan Mullen at base level is – kind of an asshole and recruiting is not his strong suit, but when you just got destroyed by Kirby, when the talent gap at a place where the talent gap shouldn't be that large is clearly large. What did you make of, what do you make of his entire situation is the best way to ask it. Clearly no one is going to be like, no, I'm in Dan Mullen's corner. Like what he said was great. Makes perfect sense. What do you make of what he's done at Florida so far? Yeah. I think the freak out was at least taken mildly out of context. His exact quote. Um, but you don't get to say that when you're like, I mean, I don't know what they're ranked in recruiting right now, but just knowing what they have been, at least in the past, there's no way they're they're high up there and they haven't been since he's been there. And when you're not doing that at a place like Florida and then you're getting ass kicked by the machine that is Georgia from a recruiting standpoint, it's just layer on layer. You're just you're just killing yourself from an optic standpoint. Um I don't know. I mean, I think that's going to be a downfall that might happen this year. And not because he's not a very good football coach, because he 100% is. 
but he is not getting it done on that end. And that's not really like a shocker or a hot take because that's just kind of been the way for them the past few years, at least. Um, so that's not, I just couldn't believe you said it out loud. Like he's just so prickly. Like I just, it, you're saying the thing that no one wants to hear out loud. <laughs> no, I think you're dead on because and look, I have no like lean or like any sort of information on this, but you know, people, less people forget after they won the East last year, he had that whole casual show cause thing come out and they like got much closer than I think people want to admit to, to maybe moving on to him even after that, when he won the East, all these people that are like, he's going to have to fire some assistance, but he'll be fine going into 2023. And that'll be the make or break. It's like, yeah, like really? Like, are we sure about this? Cause I would actually, if you made me wager on it, maybe this is indicative of how bad of a, uh, a better I am is that, like, I, I'm not sure he does, but we'll see. Last thing I wanted to get to before we get out of here was a couple of 2022 things. Ole Miss is going to clearly not have your typical high school class. It's going to be transfer portal heavy, which is really going to be fascinating with the way this recruiting ranking thing is set up. And, like, I don't know if ESPN is going to have to change some graphics, but – They're going to go transfer heavy, but don't you see this as a sign of the future? We talked about this becoming college basketball-y or college basketball-ish in terms of the way the transfer portal has gone. If Ole Miss does the thing this year where they sign 13, 14 high school kids and then like 11, 12 or whatever the number ends up being transfers, like it'll probably look unorthodox in the moment, but don't you see this as a bit of a sign to what might become normal in the future? Will every program do this every year? No, but will it be uncommon in three years? I would say no as well. What do you think of like what they're going to do? Yeah, I just think roster management has changed so dramatically with all of this transfer stuff, which I'm not necessarily against because, you know, kids are going to transfer out and thank goodness they brought in that rule where you can kind of replace the scholarships because before you couldn't and it was like you're getting penalized for something that, you know, is not under really under your control at all. Um, I don't think it'll be as dramatic as like a 15 and 10 split. Um, I mean, I, I know the kids in 2022, but I obviously don't really follow who they're recruiting right now and what's going on that much. I don't really care. Um, but I do know some of the kids I would imagine, I mean, 17 and eight, 18 and seven, I think you can sign a few more this year, depending on how many leave. I just, I think when you just are in a situation where you just, you always want to win now and he will be in year three technically and you got to build depth. And that's been an issue he said all year. And the best way to do that without having to deal with the kind of crapshoot that, you know, evaluations and some of this stuff with high school kids can be is you just go out and get known quantities. But the important part about that and Kevin really doesn't get, enough credit for really how good of an evaluator he is may not be his favorite thing to do in the world. Um, but he is really good at it. And he notices things that like you wouldn't expect for anyone to notice. Um, and he's pretty dead set in his ways after he watches a kid, he watches these college kids. Cause he's done it in the NFL. And is like, okay, I know that's a good college football player. I know I would want him and he can play on this team. There are some teams around the country who have not done a very good job at that. So you still have to have the 
you know, recruiting staff to be able to facilitate the organization process. But now you have to do it at the college level and the high school level, which is similar to the pros where you do, you have pro scouts and college scouts. So it really just changes up the dynamics. And I think that teams are going to have to kind of reevaluate how they look at filling out these numbers for classes. And I think Ole Miss is going to be very high up there because Levy, Durkin, and Kiffin are big, 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 big transfer portal people. Let's roll through just a couple of these real quick and give me your what we'll call I've struggled with the name for this. We'll call it the Weldon Report. Jaheim Otis. Um I'll I'll tell one quick story about him. So he came to campus and came to camp. I think it was at the end of 19, like the summer of 19, or maybe it was the summer of 20. I can't remember. Um, literally was a man amongst boys. And this kid was a sophomore wearing like a size 14 shoe. It was like astonishing. Um, an unnamed coach <laughs> said that he would give his paycheck for next year just to have him <laughs> stop with Ole Miss. He's like, I will give, I will give up my paycheck. I will give it to him because I want him on this football team. Um, he he has gotten pretty big. I remember watching some of his stuff. Uh, probably not as nimble as he was when he was younger, but he's still a really, really good football player. Um, I haven't seen any of his junior or senior stuff. Or I probably did see some of his junior stuff. I haven't seen any of his stuff this year, so I don't know how he's progressed. But he, it's an immediate need on defensive line, and he's in-state. And I think one, what Bullock, I think, went to Columbia. I have no idea where they stand with this kid, obviously, but uh, really good football player. Barry and Brown. He must have really exploded in his junior and senior year, like just from a size, speed, film, because uh, I remember him as a sophomore coming to campus and we offered him. They brought a big group from Nashville. And we liked him a lot, but he must be like, I've really, really progressed. Um, and I remember him always having a lot of speed, but he must have really worked on a bunch of stuff because it sounds like he's a pretty big time kid these days. Um, he, he's a good player. I, I do not remember as much about him as I do Otis, but it's pretty clear that uh, he's a big time guy for them. Trevion Williams? He came on pretty late. I, I do not remember much about him. He they offered him after I was gone. So they must have found someone must have found him. I think he was a pretty early in-state offer this past year. Um, so I do not remember a whole lot about him, which I know is great podcasting. No, no, you're fine. I mean, you're, this is not your full-time job anymore. You're already carrying this podcast. No. We'll just roll through the last couple of these. And if anything stands out about any of them, just stop me. But Xavier Harris. Yeah. So he we told the story about him earlier. He's a must keep that kid is a huge 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 human being marquez dorch um i he was like a really early take i don't know i don't know what position he was going to play he might be a guy that isn't there um i don't remember a whole lot i remember being super i am fascinated you said that because improvs um, all right, so Dorch. Dorch, really fast. Uh, I don't know what position he's going to play. I, I, he was a really guy they took early on, and they, that's not something they usually do. So we'll see how that turns out. Taylor Groves. Um, really good football player. I, I remember him. I remember him coming on campus, and we actually didn't even know who he was. 
Um, and then we watched this film and we were like, holy shit, this kid's really good. <laughs> Byron Hurst. Uh, just a, a guy you have to get just to, he can play tackle or, or right tackle or guard. I remember him, he's a big ass kid. Um, I don't know how he's doing now, but he, he's good. Nick Cole. No idea. Seminole County, Donaldsville, Georgia kid. I think that was, that was an August 26th of this year commit. That sounds like a late one. We covered your guy, Larry Simmons, Jarrell Stinson, Opelika, Alabama. Don't know much about him. Jacarius. That's Auburn's backyard. Jacarius Clayton, Tupelo kid. He's a weird kid. He um, like played football, and then I remember him like not playing, and we always knew about him. I think he was committed to state for a while. All we knew about him was that he was huge, but not a lot of film. And I think it was my last spring or summer there. He finally started playing football again. Um, and <laughs> I remember, I remember we were like, okay, well, this is a no brainer. I mean, he, he's a big ass kid. Quinshawn Judkins. Really, really, really good football player. One of my like, I love that kid. Um, not a very big guy. I think he's like five nine. But I remember we watched him. He was like on the first list of running backs whenever we were doing like Zoom recruiting meetings when everyone was at home. And I was like, this this kid is pretty damn electric. Um, he's he's got a chance to be really good. I mean, of course, he could also not be good. That's how it works. But just from a film wise, I remember loving that kid. Timmy. Gagafine? No idea. Tackle from Houston. I yeah. Jeremiah yeah. Dillon. Uh freaky track guy. That's what I remember. He and then there was another kid at that high school. Um, they both we both found them through their track numbers. Um, I think they both ran like sub 11 second hundred meters, both of them on the same team. And that you don't see high school kids as sophomores do that very often. So I remember we looked at them and I I think he ended up being a pretty damn good receiver too. So, Kyron Heath, I've actually seen this kid play twice and didn't know he was an Ole Miss commit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I've seen Mansfield Legacy play twice this year. I hope he's hurt or something. Actually, yeah. that's a terrible thing to say. I hope he didn't play because I don't remember <laughs> anything about this kid. Granted, I'm there for a different reason, but go ahead. Uh, I don't. I don't remember much about him. Jalen White. No idea. That's a Little Rock kid. That's another. Oh, that was a. That was like a commit like five weeks ago. Preston Cushman, Clearwater, Florida. Another. No idea. Uh, Reginald Hughes, Boonville. Oh, that's Northeast uh, linebacker. He's not even listed as a star god. So that was Did pretty much it, other than the Jordan Rose kid from. Well, I know a few guys at least. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That was pretty good, honestly. So Woden Rodenberg carrying this podcast as always. I appreciate the time. I think I told you like 45 minutes ago, an hour 20, pretty much par for the course there. But, um, you earned your salary today. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. I need a raise. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll catch I'm you guys. About, I'm talking about high schoolers again. I need a damn raise. We'll catch y'all on Sunday. All right. That was Weldon Rodenberg. Appreciate the conversation. He was advocating for a raise. I should probably give him one, but I'm not. Actually, I probably will. I'm just kidding. Anyway, appreciate his time as always. thought that was an interesting conversation. I hope you enjoyed it too. We're going to get to Greg's picks on the back end of this podcast before we get out of here for the weekend. So here is Fresh Cuts without further ado. All right, we now welcome on Greg the Meat Sharp Jones for another edition of Fresh Cuts, sponsored by both LB's University Avenue across from Kroger and Skybox Sports Pick. Skybox will be along for the ride with us for the college games we pick, uh, not for the NFL because they do like to make money and sell their picks because they're good at it. 
We'll get it, dive into week nine, college football slate, week 10, NFL slate. I'm not even actually sure how many people noticed this. I got, I didn't get it very many emails. I would say one or two. And then I had a couple people text me. Usually when I have a, a screw up like this, I, uh, I get a ton more people uh, being like, hey man, like what's wrong with you? And I'm like, rhetorical question. There's a lot, but uh, I'll actually, we'll bring the guest in first. Greg, we messed up last week. Do you know what we did? Um, I mean, I guess we're, I'm not so sharp. I'm not so sharp me this, this weekend. No, no, that's a given. We, our picks were terrible, but that, that's not why people listen to entertainment value. Uh, we didn't pick the Ole Miss game. I skipped the Ole Miss game. Oh, well, I, I had Auburn. I liked them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, man, I, you know, I went and looked at those highlights and like Ole Miss should have won that game, you know, like. Uh, Corral is throwing to uh, two, you know, walk-on receivers. You know, there's only two uh, starters in the original starting 11. I mean, like, and they should have won that game. I'll go could have. I'll, I'll go as far as I'll, I'll say could have um, very easily. They had very many opportunities. But as far as the pick show goes, I had, to call, I had two people text me kind of at the same time on Friday evening. Well, actually, one was Friday evening. The other one was Saturday morning. But I saw him at the same time, and they're like, dude, like, what? You didn't pick the Ole Miss game. And I was like, we didn't? <laughs> and, you know, I always try to save it for last for the college – for up of our college picks just because we talk about it a little bit longer than all the other games. And I went back and listened, and sure enough, after the – there was only four SEC games last week. After the first three, I just go, all right, that's it. We're going to bounce around to the non-SEC games. <laughs> hey, you know, because Auburn and Ole Miss isn't a big deal, you know, especially in Oxford, Mississippi. Yeah, I not to give myself a pass because that's inexcusable, but I that was running on very little sleep when we were recording last week. It was the end of a pretty uh pretty miserable, not miserable, busy. I was like a busy work week at uh at the old day job as a uh, a grease peddler. But um there's really no excuse for that. So we will pick the old miss game this week. We will uh we will make up for it there. Before I mean that's we funny because you you call you are a grease peddler. Exactly. I, uh, I I just hawk people's cooking oil. I could go as far as say I'm a grease peddler or I'm single-handedly solving climate change. So really, it depends on how many beers I've had and who I'm trying to impress. Hey, you know, you got you to gotta go wherever you can go, you know, pick and choose your battles. Exactly. So before we get into uh, the atrocity that was last week beyond me skipping the old Miss game, our picks weren't great. What's, uh, what's happening at the store? Got a home game this week. Um do you have any dishes named after Mons – not dishes, uh, packages named after Mons Venus? Um, any <laughs> rub and tug specials? What's what's going on this week for Liberty? You know, I'll, I almost want to call it the uh, the uh, double styrofoam cup special, you know, two uh, lane trains for 20 bucks, and just call it the Hugh Freeze. You know, I like two, that. Two, I don't know. I mean, you know, I always saw the guy and always had two styrofoam cups. So, I mean, you know. Uh, I think there's some, there's some, um, uh, there, there's some marketing there, you know, the double styrofoam, you know, so I don't know, man. Uh, I, it's just hard you to call it double ribbed. If you wanted to, you got ribs, <laughs> yeah. du- double rib. Yeah. The du- double rib tips, you know, uh, it's just hard to plan for this weekend because, you know, there's three home games in a row and, uh, you know, you got a sandwich, uh, Texas A&M in between those. So, uh, it's hard to come uh, three weekends in a row, but I would think that people would want to come this weekend 
A&M weekend and just skip the Vandy weekend. So uh, we're prepared. I've got plenty of fillets. I just got done cutting 120 of them. So we're good to go on fillets. Let's go. Check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We got the uh, Rippy Wright special 16 ounce prime strip for uh, 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Uh, I believe I read your text verbatim last week uh, when announcing the slight tweak to the deal and just said, yeah, no, great uh, deal. Yeah. Uh, beef prices are up, but uh, <laughs> we've still got an awesome deal for a, you know, a 16 ounce prime strip and a, a pack of sausage for 25 bucks. Thanks a lot. Bin Laden. Um, actually, <laughs> I guess it'd be yeah, thanks a lot, Brandon. <laughs> hey, let's just uh, – I really want to change it to the Let's Go Brandon special. There we go. We could call it that. Whatever. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i not really sure the dim- – I haven't uh, – Rippy Wrights has not yet dove into politics. Um, <laughs> maybe that taste coming. I doubt it. I'm mostly joking, but we could we could look into that. I'll start crunching some polling numbers and see see how that would do for a uh, business. But uh, anyway, check them out. Grailfees University Avenue. Check out the Rippy Wrights special. That's rippywrights.substack.com. Subscribe. You get a freeze newsletter from me three to five times a week. And the uh, Rippy Wright special. A 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage is a hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Um. You mentioned the three home games in a row being tough to prepare for. Last thing before we get in the notes, that made me think of something. Do you? I got all my Hugh Freeze jokes aside. I said I wasn't going to do it all week. I made a promise in the newsletter I wouldn't do them all week. I got them out of my system. It is what it is. Do you remember his first season, though, in terms of home games? Do you know what I'm about to get at? Uh, was there a Wyoming in there? Wait, was it? Damn it. No, it was 2013. Sorry, his second season. No. We had six home games in a row with a bye week in between. Do you remember this? So it was like uh, Texas was sandwiched in there. Uh, I think a UL Lafayette. So Ole Miss in 2013 started the year at Vandy. That was the Jeff Scott run. Went SEMO at Texas and won. Went to Alabama and lost 25 nothing game. That was kind of the year before the rise. Then uh, goes and loses a tough one at Auburn. They had – AM and LSU back to back at home, then Idaho, then a bye week, then Arkansas, Troy, Missouri, then the Egg Bowl. So Ole Miss from October 6th, the day after the Auburn game, did not play a game outside of Vaught Hemingway Stadium until November 28th. How about that? I mean, I knew it was either Idaho or Wyoming, and uh, I, I, I guessed wrong. So it was the Vandals. That was uh, that was actually my freshman year of college, and I remember after like three of the games, and granted the bye week in between helped out a little bit, so it wasn't really six in a row, but there was no like road game watch party where people, not as many people are town, you kind of take a break type of deal. And I remember being like four games in, and I was like, actually, this kind of sucks. Like I thought it going into the year, I was like, oh, this would be kind of fun, six in a row. This is going to be a – uh, a marathon, not a sprint. And after the fourth one, I was like, actually, this kind of blows. I'd like to have this broken up. I would not like to have that again. Granted, I'll never be a college student again unless something goes wrong. But 18-year-old me and what I was getting into back in those days, I uh, I did not enjoy the six in a row, actually, contrary you, to You were sitting right. there working, uh, going back to Jackson uh, week in, sandwiched in between a six-week stretch, you know. You had never thought that you would go back to Jackson. Exactly. I mean, I was like, geez, I just need to go home to save me from myself. Um, that, <laughs> hey, you know, Oxford does that exactly a lot going on in the uh fall of 2013 for uh for your guy here. Uh, I would argue not much of it good, uh, but we had fun while doing it anyway. Um, before I incriminate myself, tough week last week, 
So you actually survived the college slate okay. We both went 0-1 in our locks, and that's because we both picked Kentucky to beat Mississippi State. You went 4-5 and in college. I went 2-7. and Skybox went 2-7. and um, That was to, before everyone's like, why is this asshole uh, telling me to go use Skybox? These were the, their free picks. This was not with the premium service. They were much better in the premiums <laughs> in the picks you actually have to pay for. So I don't want to rag on my guy Skybox here. And then they don't ride with us in the NFL. I actually came out 7-7 seven and seven in the NFL – but I was one and three in locks. You were four and 10, but actually two and two in your locks. So, uh, you know, make that make sense. Did everybody get manscaped this weekend though? I have not. So we reached, I was uh, talking to uh, the overlords at MPW digital. And by that, I just mean, I called chase the other day. Uh, and it sounds like it's going well. I don't know what the demographics are in terms of who has gotten the lawnmower 4.0. I don't know how much of that is due to us, but uh, I will take credit for a hundred percent of it until proven otherwise. How about that? I mean, you know, what a great combo, you know, get good, fresh cuts of meat and trim, uh, you know, just trim manscape, you know, what that, I think we've got the best combo of uh, podcasts of all time. We're just, after we get done recording this podcast, I'm just going to have you record the manscape ad read. Cause you're more passionate about this than I am. Maybe they'll sponsor a butcher shop. I don't know. It's like, Hey, we cut meat, you cut hairs. Let's work out something here. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, come get manscaped and, and at manscape. I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll look into that. I'll have uh, my people contact your people, and then we'll contact their people as well. I'll talk to my agent and my attorney, uh, and we'll million, millions of dollars involved. I think. Millions. Yes, exactly. We speaking of millions of dollars, we need to win millions of dollars this week to get back on the horse. It was a tough week last week. I actually, the NFL went way better than I thought. Uh, granted, the games, the locks, which are the ones I would actually play, because obviously we don't play all fourteen games every week because we're not total maniacs. Turned out better, seven and seven, but we, we need we need to get back on the horse this week, and we have a pretty good college slate to do just that. Let's talk about... Hey, uh, speaking of getting back on the horse, there's a really good uh, uh, horse racing this weekend at the Breeders' Cup. the way while I'll pull up these games. Yeah, the uh, Breeders' Cup is this weekend at Del Mar, um, so it's uh, probably... Pretty much the super, the international Super Bowl of uh, horse racing. So it's a pretty good, uh, lots of good horses at Del Mar right now. So uh, there's a lot of good uh, two-year-old races are Saturday or Friday, and then the three and the four-year-old races are uh, Saturday. I mean, the two-year-old races are Friday, and then the three and the four-year-old races are Saturday. So there's a uh, lots of good horse racing action at uh, Del Mar this weekend. Is Bob Baffert there? Yes, Bob Baffert is there, and uh, so everybody is, you know, obviously uh, rooting against Bob Baffert this weekend. But yes, he has uh, three or four horses in the in the in the Breeders' Cup. We never revisited his reputation after all that went down. What's uh, what's the Bob Baffert apology tour like? What's going on with that? I mean, you know, New York uh, accepted him back in. Uh, you know, man, it, it it is what it is. Uh, with that being said, I, I wish I knew further information, but. You know, uh, uh, he, 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 I, I just hope he doesn't win this weekend. That's all I care about. Yeah, our official podcast stance on this is Bob Baffert can eat shit because you're the real Bob Baffert. How about that? Yeah, I would never wear blue tinted glasses. I think I would go a little bit uh, kind of a darker tint glasses. But, you know, uh, with that being said, I do like blue, but I just don't think I would wear skinny jeans over my boots and uh, – a uh, white button up and a uh, terrible uh, looking jacket. 
Look, they want to find him. They want to punish him. What if we just started putting his horses in prison? So every horse that shoots up, like technically the horse that's inside its body, I feel like that would piss off Baffert if we locked the horse up. Well, I mean, you know, it's really not the horse's fault. You know, you have to, uh, it is who the caretaker is of the horse. So uh, I think we probably need to lock up Bob Baffert before we lock up uh, like uh, Medina Spirit. So with that being said, I'm, I'm on the horse's side. Fair enough. Uh, jury's still out for me on that one. Here's a, uh, we're going to get into. I mean, if, if Medina Spirit actually said, hey, I don't want to take those, uh, those, uh, those enhancing drugs, uh, I would rather run the race. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a horse, you know. Well, Medina Spirit's silence has been deafening to me. <laughs> we still haven't heard from the horse. So let's, uh, we'll start with the, here's a disgusting one to kick off. Got the mimosas, Bloody Mary's rolling. Maybe you're trying to make a little extra cash. Uh, before the before you get to the cream of the crop of this slate, and you look up, and it is Missouri and Georgia. Missouri going to the plains. It is Georgia now minus thirty nine. Oh, buddy, Georgia. Yeah. Dude, I, I, if, if you want credit, like if you want an indicator of how ridiculous their defense is, I know it's the SEC East. I believe this is Georgia's third thirty three point line or greater, and they've covered the first two. Thirty five yeah. point line or greater, actually. I mean, I think they're, I mean, they're just too good. I'm sitting here thinking that, you know, Missouri's offense can actually score some points, but like they scored points against terrible defenses. And so, I mean, I can easily see this being, I don't know, 45 to 10 and they still cover. So, uh, I mean, 54 to 10, um, I don't know. It might can be, you know, 40, 48, 17. So uh, it can go a lot of different ways, uh, but man, it's just hard to bet against Georgia just because they're so good. But I'm going to see if I can't get a backdoor cover uh, in, a, in the fourth quarter on Missouri on, on this. I wrote in Neil's picks that my dumb brain most of the time would be convincing me is exactly what you said, that, uh, that oh, one touchdown will cover it. This is way too many points. But after last week, seeing what they did to Florida, it was funny listening back to our podcast last week. That's the only part of – like that. I'd never listened to any podcast. We, like, not we, just me and you, like, in general. I just don't enjoy it. Like, it's just – it's weird enough to do it one time. But I do it sometimes with our picks because I don't always write a lot of them down because I get distracted, uh, shockingly. And then last week I was trying to figure out if we really forgot to pick the Ole Miss game. And when we got to the Florida-Georgia part of it, you, I said, you know what? I'm going to go with Florida because no one's on them, and I'm going to go in the absence of all logic, that type of pick. And you go, I want to agree with you, but I'm not. So that worked <laughs> out well for you. <laughs> you know, I, it's just like you can't talk yourself out of, like, um, I mean, not to bring back the horses. Like, whenever you look at a horse, you do like, hey, uh, you can't talk yourself of liking, out, liking the horse. So, like, if you lay eyes on the horse and you like the horse, you like the horse. Don't like talk yourself into it. So, uh, Georgia's the better horse in this situation. So, you know, you just got to go with the better horse. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. I mean, so I'm on the same boat. I'm not overcomplicating this. I'm going with Georgia. You know, if you learned anything last week, and I actually called my shot, I said, I'm going to do this with Florida. And then they're going to pan to Dan Mullen on the sideline in the second quarter when they're getting their shit kicked in. And he's just going to have the worst grin on his face. And sure enough, that happened. And then he's had a rough week. We can get to that later. He, uh, but not only is Georgia's defense not going to allow opponents to score, what they did against Florida is kind of what they do. Not only do they not allow opponents to score, they actually create points. I mean, that game was three to nothing with like four and a half minutes to go in the second half. I mean, excuse me, in the first half. And what it ended up at halftime, it was 24 nothing. I mean, absurd. They just decided, hey, we, we're going to get three turnovers real quick, and this is not going to be close anymore. It's They're too good. 
Uh, I would actually, I would love to see a prop on how often Missouri gets past midfield is actually the one I'd like to uh, maybe, uh, maybe see. I don't know how in the world anybody would do that. So we don't need to overcomplicate this. We're both on Georgia. Skybox is on Missouri. Skybox is going with you. Backdoor cover. Yeah, I just, I mean, like, sorry, I said, I said we're both on Georgia. You're Missouri. I'm Georgia. Skybox is Missouri. So I lost two to one here. Yeah, I just think, like I said, I mean, it's just that just there's so many points involved that, you know, you can just see that backdoor cover coming uh, late. So with that being said, I, I just like that Missouri backdoor cover. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 a ton of points. Like, I it's it's crazy that Georgia this regularly has had that like SEC games with that big of lines, but I think that speaks to the weakness of one the bottom of the East, and man, that defense is all time. So, uh, no need to spend a ton more time on that game. Obviously, we'll save the Ole Miss game for last. I should I be like an old person that like I have to set an alarm to go to the bathroom? Should I set an alarm to go, remind myself to go back to the Ole Miss game, or is that is that? Is that too? No, I'll, I'll make sure you remind you. I, I, I'm, I'm on my game tonight. All right, cool. We're going to go state Arkansas next. Uh, we were wrong about state last week in Kentucky, heavily overrated states playing good football. Mike Leach for the second year in a row has his team playing really well in the second half of the season. I hate to be that guy and do this again, but it's Arkansas minus four. This game's in Fayetteville. Arkansas is coming off a bye. I, I actually like I, I hate doing this because I actually think state's playing well. I don't think they're as close to the team that they were in September. I think they could actually go give Auburn a run for their money in two weeks. But I think all Arkansas is just in a good spot here. Arkansas had a really rough month. If you'll remember, they went AM, Ole Miss, or excuse me, AM, Georgia, Ole Miss, and then Auburn at home. And like basically, I mean, three of those were on the road because the Arlington game's a neutral site game. They finally get the bye week. They're a little bit rested. If I mean, if they don't win this one, they're kind of frauds. I actually think in a, in a different scenario, I would kind of like State here, but I think Auburn's in a really good spot. I'm going to go Arkansas the minus four and a half. But if State went up there and won that game, it actually wouldn't stun me either. I just I kind of like the rested Auburn early November. They kind of need a get-right week. Yeah, I mean, that stretch that you were just saying, I mean, that's a tough stretch. I mean, you know, playing Georgia, Ole Miss, and then – uh Auburn and uh, you know Arkansas is not a bad team. They just you know had a couple bad breaks here and there. But uh, I think you know every team is different at home. I think you know the same way with Kentucky this week. You know they're playing uh, at uh, they're playing at home against Tennessee, and that's a big game. And you know they're a totally different team at home. So, but I, I'm going to go with Arkansas at home too. You know I just think they play different at home. I like Arkansas. Yeah, I it did not even I mean, not that I need to continue to justify this. I think my track record is pretty consistent, at least from a halfway professional standpoint. Um that I like it's it's not an anti-state thing. I think Arkansas is in a good spot. With that said, Skybox is on state. I actually don't hate that. To me, I this is a lack of a feel. And honestly, like when it when it came down to it, not that I spent a ton of time thinking about it, it really was just bi week home team. And Arkansas is not giving up five points into that Vegas zone. So I was like, yeah, I kind of like Arkansas here. But like I mentioned a second ago, I don't need to repeat it 10 times. If State won this game outright, it wouldn't stun me at all. Um, that's just tough to, to – that's a, it's tough to put your money on State because I'd like to see it again one more week. So you're on Arkansas. I'm on Arkansas. And Skybox is on Mississippi State. We'll keep it moving here. Probably the game of the week in the SEC, which is – very weird to say, considering Alabama and LSU play, which, I mean, did you remember that off the top of your head that Alabama and LSU play? Yeah, and I know it's like 28. 
20 yeah 20. it it's not great and like i believe i thought cbs used their flex game on this maybe they didn't maybe they went alabama a&m that's what it was anyway point being we're not talking about that right now we're talking about a&m auburn texas a&m minus four and a half so the same line as the last game but texas a&m minus four and a half auburn going to the plains what's your lean here I mean, I like Texas A&M just because they're playing good ball and, uh, you know, they're kind of uh, solidified the quarterback position. And, you know, that's what you need to do. You need – you got you got to lean hard on a, a number one quarterback. And, you know, whenever they got hurt, they were kind of on the fence. But, you know, whenever you beat Alabama at home and, you know, they played some good games. I mean, they blew out – they covered against Missouri. And, uh, I mean, I just think it's setting up because – if Ole Miss can somehow, some way get through Liberty, I mean, and out and Texas A&M wins this weekend, I mean, it's going to be a big weekend next weekend. Uh, yeah, I think it is going to be regardless. Uh, it would have been a huge one if Ole Miss could have somehow gotten by Auburn, but I agree. It's going to be a big weekend next weekend. I These are two very similar teams. It's Both teams play pretty good defense. I think Auburn – Auburn has a slightly worse front seven and a slightly worse secondary. So I guess you could just say they have a slightly worse defense as a whole, but it's not by a ton. Maybe the biggest gap being in the secondary. Who has the better quarterback? I don't know. I think Auburn does just because Zach Calzada played the game of his life against Alabama, but it sucks since. And at least you've had, you know, highs to come with the lows with Bo Nix. The smart play here is probably Texas A&M, but for whatever strange reason, I think Bo Nix is kind of rejuvenated. I think he continues this weird stretch of good play on the road. You know, the, the after the Penn State game, I think everyone with the rational brain was like, the book's out on Bo Nix. Like, he's okay at home, can be good at home at times, and just stinks on the road. And then he put together a gutty performance at LSU and then really just a dominant one against Auburn. For whatever reason, I think this continues. And I think Auburn actually probably – I'm going to say Auburn wins this game outright in a game where you leave the game – or if you're watching on TV and you're like, how did that happen? How did Auburn win this? I think he makes one or two highlight plays and Auburn wins it. So I'm going to go Auburn here. I won't go bold money line, although that looks enticing. I'll go Auburn the plus four and a half. Um, there. I, mean, I think it's going to be a great game. Skybox is on, where is it? Oh, oh, they're on Auburn as well. I don't know what that means, but awesome. So they're on Auburn as well. We will keep it moving. That's going to be a great game. I'm looking forward to watching that after this old Miss game ends. Uh, let's see. Keeping it moving. We'll go Kentucky, Tennessee next. This has gone all the way down to a pick em. Wow. Um, I believe in Neil's picks, this was plus three. I think Tennessee was plus yeah. three. This has moved to the side I'm looking at to a pick em now, which I guess that's telling in some degrees. Um, to me, this was a coin flip game. I think these teams are much more evenly matched despite what the rankings would tell you. Kentucky has more depth. I think Kentucky's a little better defensively, but I think Tennessee's more explosive offensively. Uh, at a pick I'm definitely going Kentucky. And when it was plus three, I think my rationale was, hey, if this was in t- uh, Knoxville, I think I might ten- pick Tennessee to win the game outright. But I think Kentucky kind of gets back on the right track this week. Um, despite, I'm, I really like Heupel. Weldon got me on the Heupel train, but I, I don't see it this week. I'm going Kentucky. Don't feel great about this one, though. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, uh, like I was saying, I just, you just think that, you know, Kentucky on the road the last two weeks, they uh, – had some tough losses uh, at Georgia and uh, uh, at Mississippi State. So, I mean, uh, but they're a different team at home. And uh, I, I just think that the uh, uh, this is just a game that they uh, somehow, some way get it done. So, I like Kentucky. I'm just going to go just on instincts on this. 
I hate to uh, interrupt the programming here. Mike White just slung a touchdown pass to Elijah Moore. How about that? Yes, I've, I've, I pulled the trigger on Mike White. Uh, I had Aaron Rodgers on my fantasy football team, and uh, seems like uh, he showed the uh, uh, <laughs> the wrong uh, the wrong COVID uh, wrong COVID uh, thing. So, with that being said, I had to pull the trigger, and I pulled the trigger on Mike White. Second NFL touchdown for Elijah Moore. Mike White has unlocked Elijah Moore. There we go. I took a late round fantasy pick on Elijah Moore and uh, it hasn't worked out, but very little, obviously almost none of his own doing. It's uh, definitely the quarterback situation, sort of the dysfunction around him. Mike White looks, we'll get to Mike White in a second. I don't want to do my Mike White thing right now. He was slinging it last week. Um, So where are we going next? We got a couple more games. Where'd you go? Kentucky or Tennessee? I'm just going to go with Kentucky. I just think they're just a different team at home. Yeah, I agree. And Skybox is on Kentucky as well. That actually, I hate to do it because I locked them last week and they burned me, but I think I'm actually going to lock there. I I think if that roster is as good as we thought it was and, you know, now you're kind of getting the whole Kentucky overrated thing going, I I think they get right this way. I'm going to use this as my college lock, the one college lock. If you're new to this program, we get five NFL, one in college. I'm going to use that as my college one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to uh, – I don't know. I think I'm going to pull the trigger on Ole Miss being my lock just because I just feel froggy. Oh, I like that. Spoiler alert. <laughs> All right, here we yeah. go. We got I a just couple... didn't want you to forget about it. It's a much... No, I appreciate that. Thank you. I needed every every bit of that. You're going to have to remind me again in five more minutes. Um, Let's go – why the hell not? Let's just get Alabama LSU out of the way. It's ESPN, so I guess they did – I guess CBS definitely didn't flex it. LSU plus 28 and a half. Uh, I don't see any need to overthink this. I I don't know the whole roll tide. What I mean, I can say the F word, I guess, if I wanted to, I won't um, thing with they Ed Orgeron has come they, back up in the news cycle. Uh, he said he yeah, meant no disrespect that. by it, which I don't know how you can respectfully say that. I think Nick Saban probably might want to rub his nose in it a little bit. Uh, I think Alabama boat races him. Uh, I'm going Alabama here. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, whenever you sit here and think about it and you want to be like, Oh, that's a lot of points, but you know, I just LSU is just uh, in a bad situation, and uh, you know, uh, touche to whoever uh, whoever they hire, but uh, he needs to realize what kind of situation he's getting into, regardless of how big those uh, extra zeros on that paycheck is. <clears throat> I like Alabama to roll for sure. Skybox is on LSU. The nerds are putting our brain in a pretzel this week because they are the experts. We we will concede that as much as we like to joke about beating the uh, the nerds that use math and stuff to do their picks. Uh, but man, that's a I'm not doubting the guys at Skybox here. I just I would have a hard time putting my cold hard cash that's just, on that's just that version of an LSU that's team. Gotta, yeah, it's got to be a backdoor, a late touchdown to cover something like that. No doubt. Um, I think we have two more. SEC games. Yeah, we have Florida and South Carolina. I want to make sure I have this updated line correct before we dive into that. And then obviously we'll get to Ole Miss. Look at that. I remembered it. Credit to me being a good podcast host. I remembered the game uh, of which the school I loosely cover. So uh, I'm patting myself on the back. I don't expect you to call me a hero, but if you wanted to, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't shirk the title. Uh, I, now I'm just killing time. I cannot find this game. Hold I think on. it's uh, 18 and a half. I think it's bigger Something than ridiculous. Let's see. I like South Carolina. I mean, for some strange there reason. There it is. I no, you're think. right. No, you are right. It's 18, actually. Uh, dead on. I don't know why I thought that was bigger. This is in Columbia. 
I actually think when I made my picks here, I thought this game was in – for Neil's picks, I thought it was in Gainesville. Uh, so that's that's nice. I'm not changing it. I think – look, every, Mullins entered the uh, – kind of the – to borrow a term from Chris Long, the meme portal where you just become – the hate most hated guy on the internet where everything you do that you're the world's dumbest asshole. He's still a decent football coach and he has better talent this week. Um, I just, I just don't think South Carolina has the worst. They're one of the worst sec teams. And if not for Vanderbilt, I would say clearly the worst I, I'm all over Florida here. Um, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, you know, agree to disagree. I, I mean, I, I get that Florida has a lot more talent in each side of the ball than South Carolina, but, you know, there's something sneaky about Columbia, South Carolina at 6:30 at, at night. So, I'm going to go with the sandstorm to see if uh, see if we can't weasel a two point uh, a two touchdown loss and uh, see if we can't cover it. Boy, there's uh, there's already some rumblings that he doesn't get Mullen doesn't get a 2022, and if that's a 14-10 game in the fourth quarter against this version of a South Carolina team that had a GA starting at quarterback for part of the year. Um, that might honestly, you even if they don't lose the game, that the, the way this looks, you talk about an optics game, this could seal his fate, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. clearly, they're not going to fire him because of the South Carolina game in 2021. But if you can kind of pick up what I'm putting down, like it's already kind of trending in the wrong direction. And if they look completely crappy against this South Carolina team, that might just be like, all right, let's let's restart here or let's do everything we can to get him to Penn State <laughs> type of deal. God. Skybox is on Florida, by the way. Before I forget, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I can see the Florida being an easy. Uh, I mean, I don't know, forty-five ten. You know, I can see that, but uh, hopefully, uh, South Carolina shows some uh, sh- shows some backbone and uh, be a, a, a good home dog for me. Last SEC game, Ole Miss is minus nine and a half against the Fighting Hugh Freezes. Um. What a what a what a crazy what a crazy game! I have no feel for this because I know nothing about Liberty other than that they lost as thirty-two point favorites against ULM, who is a team whose offense is coordinated by Rich Rodriguez. I, I think as I think Malik Willis is a good quarterback. I was watching a decent bit of I hate saying like it's not film. I watched a decent bit of like highlights and tried to go back and watch as many of their games as I could in the free time that I had this week at night and. He's a good quarterback. He seems to have a propensity to throw the football to the other team and ball security seems to be an issue at times. Now someone's going to go look up his interception numbers and be like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Just go watch it. Like he's had six interceptions this year. He only had six all of last year, but there's about not to do the old Clarion ledger, almost interceptions, Dak Prescott column, but there could be about 12 or 13 against better defenses is kind of my point. I just am not sure he has any talent around him. I think he's elevating an otherwise bad football team. So I'm going to go Ole Miss without much trouble. Ole Miss would greatly behoove themselves. The offensive line, I think, is going to play better at home. I think there's a large enough sample size there now to kind of render that pretty concrete, that the this offensive line, somewhat inexperienced, uh, kind of a hodgepodge of guys now that haven't played a ton of football together, plays better at home versus on the road. Ole Miss, this needs to be a game where Ole Miss runs for 320 yards and just sits on them. It may end up being 31-17, but can Ole Miss get up 31-10 in the third quarter, get some guys out of there, and it's because they just ran all over them? That, to me, would be kind of an optimal path for victory for Ole Miss, and uh, I am going to go Ole Miss nine at minus nine and a half. Yeah, I mean, you know, just uh, – I, I never – I was looking at the Twitter the other day, and uh, 
uh, Kiffin said that he's got two of uh, of the uh, previous eleven starters in the first game. So never thought that you know uh, Matt Corral would. Yeah, that's crazy. where's he getting that? I don't understand. So I saw that. I know they're banged up on offense. I'm not trying to be well actually guy, but Caleb Warren's going to play. Orlando Umana's going to play, and both tackles are going to play. Unless they had that many more people on the field, maybe they're saying some guys are playing through injuries. I, that. That to me was classic Kiffin stirring the pot. Not to, it doesn't dilute the point at all. I don't want to be well actually guy. I just found that funny because I saw that Curry and Ledger USA Today headline. I was like, what are they? What is he talking about? Yeah, I just you know uh, obviously Matt Corral's hurt. You know I'm not gonna uh, say that he's not hurt, but like you know, and I and I get w- what could have been if Braylon Sanders doesn't get hurt, Drummond doesn't get hurt, and uh, you know all the pieces in the puzzle uh, you know stay healthy, but. You know that's what happens in a in a SEC schedule and a uh, you know in a ten to twelve game schedule. You're going to get lose players and you know and I just think that Ole Miss really doesn't have the depth and uh, you can see uh, see it you know in, in that in that Auburn game. You know they were just I mean Corral's throw into two walk ons and a senior tight end. So uh, but I, I just think think they'll get it done for some strange reason. But uh, I think that just, you know, kind of Kiffin likes to stir the pot. Uh, yeah, no, I think so as well. I just don't think you, uh, Liberty has the athlete. So I'm going Ole Miss minus nine and a half. So is Skybox and so are you. So we're across the board there. Let's bounce around to a couple of games outside the SEC real quick before we move on to, uh, as Mike Francesa says, the league where they play for pay. I'm getting better at that impression. I've been workshopping some things. Let's go uh, – uh, let's go wake UNC first. That's probably the one. That's the first one I sent to Skybox. This site I use doesn't do games by time, which is why I'm continuing having to fumble and kill podcast time, which pisses me off. It's just a random like selection of these games, like put together. There's no order to it at all. I believe this is so wake uh, who's undefeated is getting see. no love from the college football playoff committee. They're on the road yeah, at North Carolina, and, and they're two-point underdogs. So yeah, I think we just started at four, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I like Wake here. I know nothing about Wake, but I'm not. I'm not. I went with Boots Longo last week. He disappointed me. Uh, I think North Carolina, in terms of preseason rankings, might be the single most disappointing team in the country. I know very little about Wake. I'm actually going to uh, have them on the second TV for part of this because there's not much in the 11 a.m. slate outside of Ole Miss, and I'd like to learn a little bit more about the old Deeks here. But uh, I'm going to go Wake plus two and a half. Yeah, I mean, I just I, – I don't see why you can't not take Wake here. I mean, you know, but uh, UNC played uh, Notre Dame last week, and, uh, I mean, it was a good game. And, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I just think uh, – I'm going to go with North Carolina at home. I just think uh, uh, Wake's uh, luck runs out this week. I think that's the smart play just because it's like, why does this lawn make any sense? It doesn't. Oh, let's take the side that doesn't make sense. Cause usually that's the side that ends up being correct. Skybox is on wait. So there you have it. I don't have a lot to add about this game. Baylor on the road at TCU here in my backyard or my MC's backyard. I should say I live in Dallas, but she's right by TCU stadium in Fort worth. TCU moves on from Gary Patterson. Got really kind of got a raw deal. Apparently they claim it was his choice not to coach out the rest of the season. You talk about it a guy that's kind of the face of a program for two decades. Um, Gary Patterson was TCU football and I living out here locally. Now it was, um, you know, I thought I knew Gary Patterson kind of in a world of frauds. Like I knew just from talking to enough people that 
he was well liked and people viewed him as a good guy. Um, but I was really kind of uh, shocked by the the outpouring of just unanimous support for him kind of riding off into the sunset. And I mean that mostly from media outlets. The uh, Fort Worth Star Telegram out here put out a like newspaper editorial saying that Patterson deserved better in his ouster and like look at what he's always done for the city of Fort Worth. The Dallas Morning News wrote like three columns on the guy. It, it I guess it gave me a little bit better perspective on really what this one guy has meant for TCU football. And it makes sense, right? They were in a crappy conference when he took over. They weren't a good program. I forgot about the undefeated Rose Bowl season. Like he really made TCU football relevant. Uh, he's not coaching obviously anymore. As I mentioned, they're plus six and a half with Jerry kill the former Minnesota coaches head coach. TCU's played so bad the last month. I can't pick them after I, I just hyped up Patterson and all that. Um, Baylor minus six and a half seems like easy money to me. Yeah. I'm going to take Baylor too. I just, uh, but I will have to agree with you on the, uh, the Patterson situation. I mean, you know, it's just like TCU. I, I mean, I think they were getting rolled up 48 to nothing, you know, 51 to 10. And, uh, you know, he kind of really made them relevant. I will promise you, I know a lot of Ole Miss fans will always remember that 11, 11 AM peach bowl that the, uh, TCU, uh, uh, put on us, uh, that year. Uh, I think it was Bo Wallace's senior year. It was, and you remember that Ole Miss team was really banged up. Uh, Tunsil, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, gets hurt in that game. And you remember TCU and Baylor kind of got jobbed. That was the year they put Ohio State in for, uh, you could say, the most one of the more questionable decisions this committee has made. TCU was out for blood that day, and Ole Miss didn't have the horses. But, yeah, I mean, that was really kind of the last uh, the last high point at TCU. It's been downhill ever since. It's been about a half-decade decline for Gary Patterson. I don't know if he coaches somewhere. He strikes me as a guy that maybe ends up in the athletic department at TCU. His wife's a Fort Worth native. I don't know. Just seems like a good dude, but I think they're getting crushed this week. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. I just sometimes, uh, you know, when your program's reached uh, its peak and uh, you just got to press the refresh button and uh, get some new blood in there and just uh, roll with it. Skybox is on Baylor as well. The next one, we're going to go Texas-Iowa State. Uh, what a week for Texas. They had their one of their assistant coaches who – so did, I didn't know anything about Jeff Banks before this uh, monkey situation. Have you been following this? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I heard there's some monkey business going on, and like literally monkey business. Going yeah, so apparently on. this guy had a family and then just up and left his family to, I guess, kind of spend his life with a stripper and dancer who's been on the Jerry Springer show named – pole assassin who has a pet monkey and <laughs> this monkey apparently just uh bit a trick-or-treater i'm gonna go full on alex jones on this and i'm gonna say i saw a video on the internet servicing on the internet i believe pole assassin put it out before she deleted her twitter if i'm not mistaken seems like this kid went rogue and the monkey's getting dragged through the mud here um this is a tough week like i i thoughts and prayers to the monkey uh, you know, I was, I was in Cincinnati three years after they murdered Harambe. I went to that exhibit. It was very powerful. They had a big gold statue of said gorilla. Um, you could feel Harambe's presence there, even though he was long gone. Um, I just, I'm not liking the way the monkey's being portrayed. I hope he's not put down. Doesn't sound like he will be. I don't even know how you domesticate a monkey. Tough week for Texas. Monkey, innocent until proven guilty. Texas, guilty until proven innocent, in my opinion, in terms of finishing games, particularly on the road. 
It's Iowa State minus six and a half in Ames. I probably should have led with that. I'm going all over Ohio State here. I just don't trust Texas yet. Yeah, I, I mean, I like Iowa State a lot too. I just, uh, you know, I, I just don't think uh, Steve Sharkeesian uh, realized what kind of situation he was getting into, but he de- definitely realized the uh, the extra zeros uh, in his contract. So, uh, with that being said, you know, it's a it's a tough gig, and uh, I, I, I I assumed that he didn't think there was going to be any monkey business going on. And uh, obviously there's monkey business going on in Texas. So uh, <laughs> I just think Iowa state rolls here. It's just uh, uh, a cluster. I think it's a, a nice little clusterfuck in uh, Austin right now. Consider this an open invitation for pole assassin and the monkey to come on and explain why that shithead kid went rogue. Yeah. I mean, you know, like who doesn't, I mean, I, I can see monkeys being aggressive, but like, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, sometimes you just got to uh, give them a banana and just uh, hopefully they don't bite your face off. I don't know. Yeah, I'd like to hear the monkey side of the story before I uh, really cast blame on this. So let's see. Skybox is on. Ah, damn it. I've lost it. Here we go. Skybox is on. Surely Iowa State. No, Texas. Oh, wow. Skybox is on Texas this week, plus six and a half. You know, that's probably the best way to show solidarity. It seems like they're Team Monkey as well uh, because they are picking the Longhorns this week. That's an interesting one to me. So Skybox is on it. We'll go to Oklahoma State next. I honestly forgot who they're playing, and this is another classic case of not being able to find this damn line. Uh, Got any more monkey takes to throw at me? Well, here we go. Found it. They're on the road at West Virginia. It's Oklahoma State minus three and a half. I haven't watched much West Virginia this year. This feels like a very Mike Gundy piss the bed game, but I'm actually going to go with the Cowboys here. I actually like them. Uh, I think the Iowa State game is a little bit of an anomaly. I'm going to go Oklahoma State minus three and a half. Yeah, I mean, uh, West Virginia actually played really well uh, last week, and uh, I think they beat Iowa State, correct? Pretty sure. A couple weeks ago, yes. But last week, I believe Oklahoma State, or two weeks ago, maybe it was, that that was Gundy went over to Iowa State after getting the lifetime contract and lost. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I like Oklahoma State. I, I mean, I, I like I, I like Gundy. I mean, like, I don't understand what was there not to like. I mean, you know, uh, he always gets nine to ten w- uh, wins a year, and uh, he's always uh, – has a solid program, so I, I don't see why they can't take, can't take care of business this weekend. I know one American news network that does like him. Um, let's see. Last one, Michigan State is going to – I'm going to have to ditch this site. This is making me mad. Can we not get this in chronological order? I mean, my God, how hard uh, to get this possibly It's be? a 2.30 game. Michigan State is minus three at Purdue. There we go. Look at you. There we go. At Purdue, ABC game. This is actually going to be a decent game. Huge, huge win for Michigan State last week. I thought Michigan would kind of run them over. I wasn't sure how real Michigan State was. I'm not 100% positive how good they actually are. But, uh, look, credit to them. They pulled out a win last week, massive win. I'm not feeling a letdown game this year. I don't think Purdue has the horses per se. So, I'm going to go Michigan State minus three. But uh, I could see them down ten in like the second, third quarter or something and coming back. But, uh, I mean, hell, Mel Tucker seems like if he wants it, he wrapped up the LSU – or if LSU wants him, wrapped up the LSU job. I don't know what else he has to do. Um, yeah, Michigan State, I mean, not overcomplicating this. See, I like Purdue here for some strange reason. I think that 
this game, this line should actually be more like seven or seven and a half. And uh, that just uh, throws a red flag for me. I'm going to go uh, with the home dog here. I like Purdue plus three. Love that. Skybox is on Purdue as well, and that will round out our college plays. Now it is time to transition, as Mike, the great Mike Francesa always says, the league where they play for pay. And we will start in Miami. Miami Dolphins. How a fitting is this? Trade deadline week. All we heard all week is Deshaun Watson going to Miami. Guess who the Dolphins play this week? The Houston Texans. So, congrats to Deshaun Watson on getting to Miami. I uh, Actually, I don't think he's probably traveling with the team. <laughs> but uh, just kind of some poetic, some uh, some I don't even know if it's poetic justice. That's probably not the right phrase, but just some, some weird parallels there. One in seven Miami Dolphins are minus five and a half against the one in seven Houston Texans. Did you see how disgusting the Texans backdoor cover was last week? Did you see this? Oh, yeah. I think it was, what, 35 to three at one point? 38 to nothing in the fourth quarter. And it was Texans plus 16. They scored three touchdowns and got a two point conversion and it ended 38 to 22. And that line closed at 16 and a half. I I think me and you both had, had the Texans. We did. So, you know, never a doubt, right? Oh yeah. We, we, we were never sweating that, you know, because we had that locked up the whole time. Well, uh, and I'm a Stafford th- and cup fantasy owner. You're a cup fantasy owner. That could not have played out better for us. And what was a rough week? We got all our stats and then covered. I mean, you know, you can't complain about the good stuff. So, I mean, you know, what a terrible game. Tyrod uh, Taylor's back this week, by the way, I should add that context. He's playing for the first time since week two, he got injured at the Browns in week two. And you remember they looked I mean, we didn't get a big sample size, but they were in that game against the Browns and they had beaten the Jags. So Tyrod Taylor is back. God, I'm, I'm going to go with the Houston Texans. I think a field goal wins this game. I think you're probably right, but I mean, it's weird to say, game. even with the Dolphins being one and seven, with all the Deshaun Watson talk, Tua has looked okay. Like he's kind of improved as a quarterback. Now they've had all kinds of dysfunction and whatnot around him, but he's looked fine. And I'm going to go Miami minus five and a half here. I know that's a lot for a one and seven team, but I think this is one where you look at it. This is definitely a PR one Oh one game. Like they're going to want to get two or three to four touchdown passes and do the whole See, We never wanted Deshaun Watson thing, even though that's not really true. So I'm going with Miami, but I don't, I don't hate your Texans thing at all. This is to me is a stay away. If you'll recall, Skybox is not riding with us on the NFL because they need to sell those picks. We will move on to Dallas and Denver. Dallas Cowboys minus 10 against the Denver Broncos. Last week, how about this? We both locked the Dallas Cowboys thinking that line didn't make sense. Clearly, it was an indication that Dak wasn't going to play. He probably could have, well, he definitely could have played, but they have such a big lead in their division that I, I, from what I read, he went through pregame warmups. It was like, hey, this feels okay, but I want to put this behind me, which I actually think is a very smart decision because there was no. Dallas didn't gain much other than seeding from playing that game. So he was like, you know what? I'm just going to put this calf injury behind me. Like I need one more week of rest and this should be a done deal. I don't want this lingering. And then Cooper rush goes out and win the game in the classic Kirk cousin shit, the bed game. We finally played the Kirk cousin cards, right? We were talking about how he's terrible to bet on. And then when we bet against him, he looks like a all pro. He was terrible in this game and lost to Cooper rush. 
This tells me Dak is playing in this game at being minus 10. I think Denver sucks. I'm actually all over Dallas here, and I hate taking favorites this big. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the line actually opened up at plus four and a half. Wow. Well, so if that was probably the Dak uncertainty, he went as a full participant in practice on Thursday for what that's worth. Whew. I mean, you know, like that's a lot of money for it to go it's from four and a half to ten. Like, Denver uh, sucks, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, but still, I mean, you, you can't doubt them. And plus they just traded away. Uh, Von Miller. Yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, you just can't replace that guy, somebody like that. Uh, I'll go with you on Dallas. I mean, like, why not? Like, uh, I, I, the public might be on to something. So, let's uh, let's ride the public on this. Yeah, I'm going Dallas here. I think that line movement is more so a Dak playing in certainty versus money. Um, you might be onto something there. I mean, six points, like you mentioned, is kind of unheard of. But I think it's a little bit more of that. Here's a gross one. I would never touch this with a 10-foot pole. Baltimore hosting Minnesota. Baltimore is minus six at home. Baltimore's coming off a vibe. You can't even really say they got healthier because they've had decimating season-ending injuries, but they're still a pretty good team. And then how do you go with Kirk Cousins after what you saw? But this is the Kirk Cousins experience. He's going to throw three touchdowns and somehow win this game, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And, you know, this is just – like I said, you try not you try not to talk yourself out of uh out of uh you know betting something stupid, but like Baltimore's the better team. They're at home and they're coming off a bye week, and you're just sitting here like, why am I betting on Minnesota? So I'm gonna say I'm gonna bet on Minnesota. Just I'm doing it too. Uh, I, I, it makes yeah. no sense. <laughs> I mean, it makes no sense, and you try to make yourself to, and that's what happens with gambling. You know, you just. Uh, steady the course and, you know, bet on the smarter team and the better team and you come out better. But uh, for some strange reason, I just really like Minnesota this week. No, you're a hundred percent right. Like, so record aside, if we go two, three weeks in a row being on the right side of this Kirk Cousins roller coaster, I'm declaring us the smartest human beings on the face of the earth, bar none. Oh yeah. Well, if we, we can are, figure that out, what can't we do? We could have probably come up with like the COVID vaccine. Uh <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, we, we wouldn't be talking on a podcast if we did that, for sure. That's true. That's kind of my theory on the whole, like, whenever I see something on the message board or something, yeah. like, we're like, I don't like this I'd be podcast. Del- I'm like, I don't expect yeah. everyone to like it. If everyone liked what I had to say, I'd probably start a cult or run for president or something. Way cool. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I would be at Del Mar at the Breeders' Cup this weekend. I, we would not be having a conversation right now. That's for sure. Minnesota plus six. Book it. All right, here we go. Uh Interesting game here. Uh, I don't necessarily – well, I'd say that. I, I, the Panthers won in Atlanta last week. So, honestly, I thank you for the Panthers. I picked the Falcons, but I needed an excuse to quit the Falcons, and I found it. Them losing that game that the way they did, I'm quitting the Falcons. This week, Panthers hosting the New England Patriots, and it's Panthers plus three and a half at home. Now, New England kind of burned us all last week. They might be good. So they're a weird team. They were 0-4 at home until they beat the Jets at home two weeks ago. So they were 0-4 in home games. They beat the Jets for the second time this year, so they're done playing the Jets. Coming into last week, two of their three wins were against the Jets, and the other one was against the Texans. But they really kind of kicked the Chargers' ass last week for three and a half quarters, pummeled them with the run. I think they're kind of figuring it out. 
I don't trust the Panthers anymore. I, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm taking the four and four New England Patriots on the road minus three and a half against the Panthers. I'm actually last watching them last week, the way they won that game actually kind of made me a New England believer. Yeah, I mean, for some strange reason, you never uh, you never doubt Belichick. For some strange reason, uh, just whenever you're like, oh, God, he is literally going to have a terrible season, and they just put it together. And, you know, Matt Jones is not a bad quarterback. You know, he hasn't made mistakes. And, uh, I mean, why, why, why not take him? Uh, I, I like him a lot. I like New England. Yeah, so I'm rolling with New England there. I haven't used a lock yet. I can't I can't get that, Froggy. I'm not doing that. Um next one. Oh, gross one here. Jacksonville Jags. We oh, here's the moment where I said we were gonna come on next week's show and be like, do we realize we did that? Do you know what we did? Took Jacksonville. We locked it, and I think we locked Jacksonville money line last week. They lost oh. 24 to nothing. I don't know if you saw. No, it Seattle. was all it, it should have been worse. Yes, it could have and should have been worse. They're plus 14 and a half at home against the Bills. I mean, this is to me is the stay away central. They're clearly the half point, so you can't tease the Bills down to seven. I'll just go with the Bills just because it's going to piss me off to pick Jacksonville. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, how, how, how bad is Jacksonville? And uh, uh, it, it wouldn't be a shocker to me for uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars to – be down, I don't know, seven points uh, in the fourth quarter and throw a pick six to, to not cover. So, I'm going to go with Buffalo. Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, now, I don't need to spend a bunch of time on that. Here's a fascinating one to kind of – one of the last ones to close out the early window. Bengals coming off a terrible loss last week at the Jets, although Mike White will get to him. and Well, actually, we'll get to him now because it's the Thursday night game going on as we record this. Bengals, we I had that stat that uh, my my guy Mo Egger dropped on me or dropped on his Twitter following about the Bengals only being ten, like double digit favorites on the road like two or three times in franchise history and they hadn't covered it. Well, guess what? They didn't cover it last week. They got Mike White. That guy was good. He started what like seven for his first seven or something like that. He was like nineteen for twenty one. He ends up like thirty four for thirty nine with four hundred yards and three touchdowns. He was slinging it. And as we speak, they're losing to the Colts right now. And he looks like he hurt his hand, but he was kind of oh, good. No. He's, is, he hurt his hand. Is he out? Josh, jo- Josh Johnson, that Josh Johnson that has played for every NFL team came in for a drive, but I think he's coming back in. So I think you're good. Oh, God. I picked him up on the fantasy because Aaron Rodgers uh, decided that he had COVID today. Right. I saw uh, that. No, I think you're good. Though. I think Mike White's coming back in. Um, but point being Bengals terrible terrible loss that's one of the worst did you see the way this game ended too the Bengals should have been in this spot but the helmet to helmet call that negated the third down stop that the Bengals got to have a chance to tie it and put it in overtime at the field goal one of the worst calls I've ever seen in professional sports and I don't like being hyperbole guy but I, I could not believe that that was one called two was even a consideration um Bengals minus two and a half at home against the Browns I'll tell you what I'm gonna go Bengals minus two in a lock and I'll tell you why I thought I loved the Bengals or excuse me I loved the Browns last week at home against the uh Pittsburgh Steelers and to me watching that game last week Baker Mayfield he's got that hurt non-throwing shoulder he's hurt and I'm not the biggest Baker guy in the world but he's 
he looks way worse than he has ever looked at any point in his career. And I can't say that's anything other than injury. Like he, he's definitely not right. And so if the Browns are smart, I think they'd go with case Keenum, but I don't think they'll do it because it's kind of, now it's kind of like defiance. We picked this guy number one overall. We're going to give him an extension. We're keeping him in there where I think they'd be better suited with case Keenum. So unless case Keenum starts this game, I'm locking my first lock with the Brown, or excuse me, Bengals minus two and a half. I think they get back on the right track this week. Yeah, I'll have to agree with you. I, I will say the worst professional call of all time is probably the Armando Galarraga per- perfect game. Jim Joyce good call. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm just because I'm a Tigers fan and I can just drop that uh, knowledge on that. But with that being said, uh, yeah, that that uh, that helmet to helmet was probably the worst call. And, it, and, you know, and it's and it's it's calls like that that literally changed the game. And, uh, you know, it's a win and loss situation. But I like the Bengals a lot this week and uh, get back on track at home. And, uh, you know, Cleveland looked terrible last week against uh, the Steelers. So. I'm going to go with the Bengals and get back on track. Two more early games. Raiders on the road at the Meadowlands playing – not the Meadowlands, MetLife now playing the New York Giants. Giants looked pretty scrappy last week against a Kansas City team who I think might be broken. We'll get to them in a second. Um, But classic New York Giants, Danny Dimes just looked horrible on the last drive. They had opportunities to win the game. Shockingly, they didn't do it. I got to tell you, I'm going to go back-to-back locks here. I love the Raiders in this spot. The Raiders have been through a lot this year. Look, no one comes to this podcast for serious topics, Uh, but obviously the Henry Ruggs thing happened this week. I guess if you've been living under a rock, he was drunk driving, apparently going 156 miles an hour, slowed down to 126, hit a RAV4, killed a young lady and her dog inside the car. Um, So, you know, they've had that happen after John Gruden – gets released. I actually thought Derek Carr had a pretty powerful soundbite about like kind of forgiveness and being there for Henry Ruggs. And I don't want to do, I don't want to get too much too far into this um, just because again, this is not what you come here for. And you know, anytime you say something regarding like, Oh, Derek Carr, like I thought that was profound. Someone's like, well, what about the victim? You asshole. Like, no shit. Like it's a terrible situation. He made a terrible choice. Like, of course, you know, the victim of, you know, what happened is clearly kind of the forefront of most people's minds and should be. I'm ranting and I don't want to get off that far into it. I, I like Derek Carr to his credit. I used to think early in his career, he was kind of like fraudulent and it was kind of like Russell Wilson is, but no, he really is just kind of a guy that's very laid back and tends to believe in forgiveness. I saw Bomani Jones uh, do a segment on this earlier this week. And I don't necessarily love Bomani Jones, but he was like, look, I don't love all Derek Carr's like beliefs, but that again, man clearly believe, believes and the power of forgiveness and that people are redeemable. That has nothing to do with this football game. What I'm getting at, I guess, the long-winded way, I just felt like we are not addressing the uh, Henry Ruggs thing doing the Raiders part of this. The Raiders have been through a lot, but they keep winning. And I think they're a good football team. And I think Derek Carr is playing really good football. So I'm locking the Raiders here minus three. Did that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Raiders definitely showed a lot of character. And, you know, and it takes a, a – uh, a sound professional athlete to, you know, show a lot of character and, uh, and go through the things that they've gone through. I, I you know, um, it's a tough situation with, uh, with Henry Ruggs and, uh, you know, y- y- you want to try to give people the benefit of doubt, but you know, uh, it- it's tough whenever you just, uh, if you make a particular dollar amount, you're like, 
oh, I'll never uh, drink and drive. I'll pay somebody $500 to take me home. And that way, you know, uh, I'm not getting, getting into that situation, but, uh, it's just a tough ordeal. And I, I, I like Derek Carr a lot and, you know, and, uh, none, none of he, it's almost kind of like a Freddie Freeman situation. He's a super nice guy and you, you really want, you really want to pull for the guy. And, uh, I, 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 I believe in everything that he says and, you know, and I, I like the Raiders a lot, uh, not just because of the Derek Carr, you know, being a good guy, but, uh, I just think that, you know, uh, if, if whenever you go through the situation they've gone through is losing the John Gruden and then uh, the, the Henry Rugg situation, it builds character. And uh, they've they've showed a lot of character. And I think they'd take care of business as we can. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the last thing I'll say yeah. on this and like, again, this is not what people come to this podcast for, but like he's 22 years old. Like it, that's what makes it a sad situation all around. I'm not condoning it and saying, Hey, he's just a dumb kid. He made a terrible, terrible decision. It's something that he knows better or should have known better than to do, but it's just, it's awful to see what was a promising life and a promising career come. I don't want to say his life's over, but it's going to hit a major detour at 22 years old. And I just think of some of the things I did at 22, not saying I did what he did or anything close to it ever, but my judgment was not sound at 22 years old. And it's just, it's tough all around. But anyway, that's enough of that. We're on Raiders yeah. minus three. Last <laughs> Especially early. whenever you have a particular dollar amount in your account. You yeah, know? my God. I mean, I wasn't a millionaire <laughs> at 22. Again, not excusing any of it, but man, it's just sad all around. Last game, Saints-Falcons. Uh, what is probably actually one of the best rivalries, maybe the best rivalry in uh, professional football and one of the best in pro sports. How about that for a take? Uh, Saints-Falcons fans actually hate each other. It kind of cracks me up not having a dog in the fight. Saints, minus six and a half. Damn it, I said I was quitting the Falcons. Are you kidding me with this line? I mean, they're setting it up for you. <laughs> they're setting it up can't for you. can't do this. I, I mean, can't I, do it again, I, I, can I? I'm going to let you say it. I'm going with the Falcons plus six and a half, and I'm the biggest, I've been the biggest Saints, like, sunshine bumper all year. Are you kidding me with this? Could it not have been a field goal? They have a backup. They have Trevor Simeon starting. Are you kidding me with this? Fine. Falcon uh, six and a half. I have no further comment. This pisses me off. <laughs> Man, I mean, you know, Simeon came in and played a really good game. I mean, I never thought that Jameis was going to get hurt and, and you know, figuring out who was going to replace him, but uh, you know, he finally he made the uh, man, I don't know. I just feel like this is a field goal game. I feel like the Saints I know. That's what makes me mad. Yeah. I mean, like, and is Taysom Hill playing or? He practiced this week and been in concussion protocol for quite a while. He's apparently back. I have no idea if he plays. Is he playing like tight end or slot receiver or, I mean, God. I could I mean, not begin to tell do? you, and I'm not doing the research. I mean, what does that guy do? Oh. <sighs> Whatever, Falcons, where are you going on this? Because I <laughs> I can't I'm, do the Saints that many points. Maybe I'm an yeah. idiot. I probably am an idiot. Actually, I know I, I'm, I'm going to go Saints just because I'm a Saints fan. And just like, we'll just, you know, just, yeah, we'll just move on to the next one. I'm Congrats just on having it. a saving grace. Uh, we need a dedicated listener out there to just email me every single day and say, stop with the Falcons. Stop with the Falcons. Um, yeah, and the Jets. Yes, I've, I've, I can I can wean myself off the Jets a little easier for whatever reason. <laughs> the Falcons are the drug I cannot quit. 
Oh, and, jo- and jo- Josh Johnson short pass. Oh, he's out. Michael White's out. Yeah, they keep looking at his finger. This is great podcasting, uh, but Jesus. Right. Oh, up. Let's see. Only three late games, so we'll rip through these real quick. Chargers at the Eagles. Eagles are plus two. They blitzed the Detroit Lions, who I'm not sure have much left in the tank at this point. Chargers have some real issues. They they're not very good against the run, like at all. But the Eagles hadn't run the ball well very much all year, but then they lose Miles Sanders and it becomes the Boston Scott show last week where they just run it better than they have all year. I think if the Chargers are a good team, despite their issues defensively, this is a game where it's kind of like, okay, we've lost a couple in a row. We lost to a Patriots team off a bye week. That's not very good. We need to go get a win. I'm going to lock the Chargers here. I think Herbert gets this done. I don't think the Eagles are a good team, and I think Herbert takes over this game. I'm going Chargers minus two. Yeah, I would think that this is the game that you just, uh, you know, don't talk yourself out of uh, not betting on the Chargers, but I've already talked myself out of it. I'm going to take Philadelphia. There we go. Simple and succinct. We have last uh, late game, Got two Packers, more. Chiefs, and Aaron Rodgers, who apparently said in August he was immunized against COVID-19, and apparently people took that to mean that he was vaccinated, but he didn't want to throw his teammates under the bus. Not really sure the mental hoops it would take to get that. I'm not vaccine shaming. That's not really my, you know, my favorite content in the world is not, you know, shaming who's vaccinated, who's not vaccinated. I don't generally give a shit about I mean the guy the guy hosted Jeopardy I mean like why does he have to get vaccinated well I so I missed this original (laughs) (laughs) I missed this original soundbite where he said he's like someone asked him if he's vaccinated he said he's immunized or whatever I don't even know how to pronounce that word immunized I guess it would be I didn't know he said that no not that I would care either way but it's kind of funny that that was like a gotcha moment this week and he was like see he was lying it's like who cares um He's it out. It seems for this like uh, his days are limited in Green Bay. It's, I mean, and they're seven and one. I'm going to enjoy the hell out of his post game press conference when he gets asked about why he's not vaccinated. And he's like, What do you mean? I jumped in the Pacific Ocean and swam with some dolphins. I was told that was natural immunity type of deal. You know, he's got the hair where he looks 30 years older than he actually is. He's got a lot going on. I'm looking forward to the word salad he produces when uh, he gets big jade about his vaccine status. Uh, that's enough talk for vaccines for one podcast. He's not playing in this game. It is the Packers plus seven. And let me tell you, Greg, I'm going to ride against the trend here because Kansas City, I'm not picking them as a favorite against anyone right now. They won that game against the Giants last week, but the Giants turned it over twice and then had a turnover on down. That game, a good Chiefs team, that game's 38 to 10. And the Giants had a chance to go down the field and win the game. I'm all over the Packers here. I'm not even sure how Jordan, good Jordan Love is. I don't care. Uh, the Chiefs suck. And it's yeah. weird to say that with Patrick Mahomes, but they suck. I'm on the Packers plus seven. I'm going to use my fourth lock on that. Packers plus seven. Yeah, I mean, it's almost kind of like Jordan Love's like coming out party, and it just seems like a terrible uh, Chiefs defense is going to be right up his alley. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in this game. I mean, you know, and I don't know who's going to be the starting quarterback uh, for the Green Bay Packers uh, the next week. Uh, You know, Jordan Love might come out and play, you know, lights out, and uh, Green Bay wins by 10 points, and they're like, oh, there's a quarterback controversy. So, I don't know. I just think that – I think Kansas City, the wheels officially come off, and uh, uh, I think just Mahomes is overplaying. He just – 
Uh, I his just, defense I just like stinks him. and his offensive line stinks. That's what's happening. Yeah, I mean, you know, like it looks like he's Archie Manning back there, you know, whenever he was playing for the Saints, uh, running, for, running for his life, uh, throwing sidearm passes. And uh, so <laughs> I just think Green Bay is actually a really good club and they're 7-1. And, one, and uh, regardless of who their quarterback is, I just like them here. And, we're, and I'm going to take the points. Uh, I said last late game, I lied. There's one more. What's going on here? Uh, 49ers Cardinals on this site I'm at has been taken offline, and then ESPN now has it as the three and four 49ers are minus one. Is there Kyler Murray news? What's going on here? Uh, I mean, I'm just looking at the Arizona plus five was the opening, and now it's uh, San Francisco minus one and a half. So Kyler Murray yeah. and DeAndre Hopkins have yet to practice this week, and you might be oh, the, yeah. out there listening, rolling your eyes. If you don't practice on Thursday, that's when it becomes real. Oh wow! Yes, that's uh, yes. That, that, uh, oh God, man! Whatever, you know, Niners minus one and a half. We're go- I'm going with it. Doesn't make sense. Even if they play, I actually don't hate the Niners' chances. So I'm Niners minus one and a half. I'll yeah, make this I easy. Think, yeah, I mean, you just – yeah, just common sense this one, I think. I think that, uh, you know, uh, Kyle Murray and uh, DeAndre Hopkins are, are big pieces to that puzzle. And, uh, you know, that Arizona defense is really not that bad, and they're really solid across the board. But I just think San Francisco would get this done. Agree. Sunday night game, my Tennessee Titans – I think we've lost Derrick Henry for the season. Mike Vrabel did the football guy thing. Did you? Mike Vrabel had a dynamite quote this week where he says, Doctors are going to try to give us a timeline, but I don't listen to it. Hell yes. Mike Vrabel, guy who said he'd cut off his penis to win a Super Bowl, not taking any shit from doctors. How about that? Uh, I yeah. think Derrick Henry is done for the year. We signed Adrian Peterson. I don't know what that means. With that said, it is Titans plus seven and a half. And I. I'm the most skeptical Titans guy of all time, but man, they get down 14, nothing last week. That was a gutty win. I know Carson Wentz kind of tried to hand them the game, but you come off back-to-back weeks where you beat the bills, you beat the chiefs in a short week, and then you go on the road and essentially lock up your division. I'd like to see what it looks like without Derrick Henry for a week, but I'm not doubting these Titans. And if I can get over a touchdown with the six and two team, I'm going to take it. I, uh, I like the Titans here and I'm going to use my final lock. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I agree with you on this Tennessee team. You know, uh, uh, finding ways to win games whenever you don't have your best players, and uh, that's that's a really you know team effort. So I think the Titans are a really good team. You know, it's not like Derrick Henry uh, was just lifting them and to wins uh, every time, but uh, it definitely helped to have him back there. But I just think that it's a lot of points, and uh, I, I can easily see a field goal uh, winning this game. Yeah, I agree. I'd like to, I really am interested to see because, I mean, you look at the carries numbers and the yardage numbers with Derrick Henry versus the number two back in the NFL, and it's kind of stupid. I mean, he has like 89 or 90 more carries than the second most used back in the NFL. The yards is like a couple hundred. There's not a single team that uses a running back like the Titans use Derrick Henry. I tend to believe this is going to sink their ship, but Tannehill's not terrible, and they have enough weapons. And if you can have competency back there, maybe they're still okay. That's probably wishful thinking. But I'm actually fascinated to watch this game because I have a bunch of the Rams in fantasy. And I'm honestly just curious to see what the Titans look like without Derrick Henry. It's kind of bizarre not to see him in the backfield. So I'm looking forward to this, I guess, kind of in a weird way. But 
I'm very prepared to that to be 35 to 10 and the Titans were a disaster, but look, they got some guts and for Vable, all of Vrabel's flaws, they pull out a rod of really, really gutsy wins over the years. So anyway, Monday night football, last one. Here's a, this is kind of a scary game. We have bears going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Justin, Matt Nagy didn't coach last week and the bears actually looked pretty good, even though they lost against the 49ers. Uh, not really sure what that tells you, but uh, Matt Nagy probably getting canned up the year. Steelers minus six and a half. I got to go ahead and tell you, I wish I hadn't used my lock. I'm all over the Bears here. I'm not picking the Steelers minus six and a half against anyone, particularly that Bears defense. They're going to make Ben Roethlisberger look like he took shrooms. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on what shroom he would take, but yeah. I, I, good I point. Could have a good strand. Uh, you you can never you can never doubt the shrooms. I mean, there's a guy that pitched a perfect game uh, on shrooms. So, got to got to work that angle also. Um, uh, man, you know I saw that play that um uh that Fields did that like he ran the one side and then he ran the other side and uh, he's kind of good. He, he yeah he's uh, well, I mean obviously you can tell he's a great athlete and. They just don't have a lot of weapons for him to, to throw to. I mean, they really don't have a huge – I mean, like, imagine, uh, I mean, uh, Julio Jones or an A.J. Brown, you know, on the Bears. I think that it just changes that offense a lot. And uh, I think they're playing really well, and I, I, I like the Bears a lot. I just, like I said, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, I couldn't imagine uh, pulling the trigger and betting on him right now. And uh, – especially in this uh, point of latter stages of his career. And, uh, you know, you just uh, – I know they showed some character and won at Cincinnati last – I mean, uh, at Cleveland last week, but uh, I, I still don't trust a, a broken Ben Roethlisberger. So, I like the Bears here, and I, I think uh, I think that's a lot of points. So, it should be a field goal game. This has been – Week 11, or excuse me, I was about to say week 11. Week 9 in the NFL, week 10 of college football. Appreciate everyone sticking to the end. Your reward is the Skybox free plays. They're free plays this week. Cincinnati, Tulsa over 54.5. So Cincinnati, over Cincinnati Tulsa over 54.5. USC plus 9. NFL free plays. New England, Carolina over 41.5. And Atlanta plus 6.5. How about that? I'm vindicated here. Here we go. So oh, those are man. the free plays from Skybox. Thanks for making it to the end. Uh, catch you next week, dude. I appreciate the time as always. Yeah, and uh, you said you're coming into Oxford for the AM game. Yes, we will uh, have to hit up the library. Same two bar stools. Oh, yeah, they, they still got the books there. That's our show. Thanks for making it to the end. If you made it through this marathon of a podcast, I really appreciate it. Hope you have a safe and happy start to your weekend. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, or maybe do. I don't know. I can't control you. You're all adults out there. Have a safe and happy weekend. Weldon and I will catch you on Sunday. Be good.